Hello and welcome to Ghost Divers. This is an anime podcast on the Export Audio Network. Um, I am your co-host Neve, and joined here by your other co-host Connor. Welcome back, everybody. And today we are discussing episodes one through seven, aka the first half of the uh, Student Council Saga of the anime Revolutionary Girl Utena, which I'm, I'm assuming you know if you get play on this episode, but. You know, like it's the title of the episode. Yeah, but I still, I still feel the need to say it every time. Well, I mean, it, it is possible that you know someone's going on a very long road trip, um, mm-hmm. and they're just, you know, maybe you like queued them all up, yeah. right? Like, I, I often will put a bunch of podcasts in a queue, and they, I kind of mix them up because I, like, I'll be like, let me listen to one episode of this podcast, like especially if I'm catching up with a podcast, you know, I'll be like, okay, I'm gonna like have two podcasts that I'm trying to catch up with at this time and like jump back and forth between them. And then maybe I'll like run behind on some shows that I'm listening to. So they'll also get queued up. So yeah, maybe someone's driving or whatever. You're like halfway have through Wyoming and yeah. you're just like about to fall asleep, but you can't cause you really got a long way to go. Um, so you want, you know, really something really exciting to just like pick you up. Um, yeah. Well, you, so two you nerds up the talking right to a mic about anime. Yeah, <laughs> but the anime is is Utena. Um, yeah, which is really exciting. Um, so you know, yeah, um, you you this, have the right podcast. This road tripper that we are imagining. Do you think that, um, like, have they just watched like Utena many many times? They the queue that they have right now is literally just like multiple Utena podcasts and they're, they're talking <laughs> ours out. And I hope that you think that ours is the best. Uh, um, but, right into you know, the pod, right into the pod and let us know what you think. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they, you know, they have multiple queued up. Uh, is it that sort of situation or is it someone being like right before this long haul drive? I, I finally finished Utena. This is my first time watching through it. Um, and I just can't stop thinking about it. And I need to, to listen to a podcast and a podcast that's really going to deep dive. And, you know, I was talking <laughs> to my friend and they were like, you should check out the show Ghost Divers. Um, they, they really do some like interesting deep dive. Like the episodes are long, but I know you're a long haul trucker. So like, I think you've got time in your life to, to listen to it. What, which, which scenario do you think it is with this imaginary listener that we've constructed? I'm not sure. I think it might be scenario three where it's someone who just loves ghost divers so much that, you know, maybe they haven't listened, you know, maybe they don't <laughs> listen to all of them right as they come out. So they have like a little bit of a backlog, but they're like, this <laughs> podcast just brings so much joy into my life. And I'm about to have to drive through Wyoming and I need that joy. <laughs> so I'm just going to queue up. Like a bunch of all the ghost divers that I've been wanting to listen to in my backlog. Um, and this is just like the last one, the most recently released one. Um, and so it's like at the end of the queue and you're almost there. Um, and you're like, ah, but I'm almost fall- I'm falling asleep, but I just need like that final push. And then this episode comes up. We're going to pretend like the intro episode doesn't exist for a second. Because that would have come up before. But for the sake of fiction, this episode comes up and you're like, oh my god, Ghost Divers is doing Utena. I'm so fucking pumped right now. And then you're just like, 
here we are, you know? Yeah. Um, I started laughing while you were telling that story because I realized, um, so, so Ina, I'm sure you're listening to this episode right now. Um, I'm aware that we actually kind of just described, I think, uh, an experience that you told me that you had, which is that you listened to one of our Ava episodes while, uh, driving a long distance in a U-Haul, uh, cause you were moving, um, with your, um, your your girlfriend and i think your girlfriend's brother uh or yeah and and i think your brother was very very confused by us (laughs) talking about um like (laughs) the the sexualization of young girls in anime (laughs) oh yeah 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 so our second uh, yeah our our second ava episode yeah i believe it was the second ava episode okay yeah that's a good one just like hey this is a podcast i like (laughs) Um, you mind if we listen to it while we drive? Yeah, sure. Why not? Um, I know cereal. I like podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> Two nerds shouting to a mic about <laughs> Asuka and, uh, imitation of Misato and <laughs> yeah. the, the way that, uh, Japan has to like construct female sexuality around like American colonial desires. Um, Anyway, episode one of Utena. Uh, the name of this episode is The Rose Bride. I decided to actually start putting the titles of the episodes in here. Um, nice. So we begin with a fable-like telling of a young orphan girl who is rescued from her sadness over the death of her parents by a mysterious prince who kisses away her tears. This becomes a really big uh, thing that they keep returning to in the, the manga version, which I just started reading. Um, but kisses away her tears and gives her a rose signet ring. Um, he promises that the ring will lead her to him again someday if she never loses her strength and nobility. Uh, the young girl who we understand to be Utena, um, is so inspired by the unnamed prince that she decides to become a prince herself. Years later, a now 14 year old Utena attends Otori Academy and is in eighth grade. She is scolded by a teacher for wearing a boy's uniform to school. Um, she then sees a green haired high school student named Sionji slap another high schooler named Anthe. Um, I believe they, I believe they're in high school. I know they're like older, mm-hmm. um, but yeah. I, I forget exactly. I, I forget, especially if Anthe is supposed to be in, in high school or not. Um, uh, yeah. Utena is in middle school here. Um, although it's all like one Academy seemingly. Um, anyway, um, she then encounters students who are laughing at a love letter pinned to the bulletin board. Um, Utena basically intuits that this love letter was written by her friend Wakaba and sent to Sionji, who then like pinned it up, um, kind of to like, you know, he, he's being he's a huge asshole. Basically, <laughs> um, it was like people. I it's my letter. I can do what I want with it, and I thought people would get a laugh out of this. Yeah, if I pinned much, it up. That pretty much sums up. That's the major plot point here. Yeah. Um, and so to defend her friend, um, Utena challenges Sionji to a duel. Uh, he sees that she has this rose signet ring and accepts saying, meet me at the strange forest behind the school that has a weird uh, giant stone door um, with a, a strange doorknob. Uh, and when she she goes to open it and is like, it needs some sort of key or something. Uh, it seems that the rose signet ring is the key. Uh, there's like this water drop thing and everything. And then uh, water just starts pouring out of fountains. Um, (laughs) Stones are moving to, like, 
reconfigure themselves uh, as the giant stairwell rises up and uh, leads to this giant dueling arena uh, in the sky. Yeah, (laughs) that has an upside down like mirage castle or something suspended above it. Um, And it's like, that's weird. There's an upside down castle. And they're like, yeah, it's probably an illusion. I don't know. (laughs) Um, And then duel Sionji um, and she defeats him. Winning Anthe as her rose bride, um, and basically embroiling herself into some weird, uh, like dueling game that is uh, occurring in this this uh, academy, I guess. This yeah. Is the first episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, very normal so far. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, in the uh, in the next episode, uh, titled "For Whom the Rose Smiles." Uh, we learn that as the Rose Bride, uh, Anthe is uh, said to or is meant to obey uh, whomever she is engaged to uh, without question. Um, and during a meeting of the uh, student council, um, of which uh, Sionji is a part, and Anthe is, is a part as well, just in some weird way. Yeah, although it's uh, like not really at any of the meetings that we see. Yes. Um, nothing mysterious about that. Um so during a meeting of the student council, um, it is said that uh, the one who wins the duels and possesses the Rose Bride will gain, uh, quote unquote, the power to revolutionize the world. Um, we also learn that the student council members are receiving letters from some entity uh, known as the end of the world, uh, giving them instructions, um, and that everyone with a Rose Signet Ring is considered a duelist as part of this game. Um the student council, it's kind of revealed later. Um, the student council has these uh, rings as part of, you know, um, their position on the student council. Uh, but none of them seem to understand why uh, Utena has one. Mm-hmm. Um, meanwhile, uh, Utena moves into a seemingly abandoned dorm and finds that Anthea is moving in with her. Um, there's some machinations behind this as well that are not clearly explained. Um She's like assigned to this dorm. Um, it's supposed to be a single room, and then Anthe is. Uh, she finds that Anthe is there, um, and initially, uh, Utena is uh, chagrined by this, um, despite the power that possessing Anthe uh, might give her. Um, Utena is kind of repelled by the idea of um, participating in a game um, where students fight for control over a classmate's life. Um, she, yeah, she pretty uh, thoroughly rejects this whole proposition um, and resolves to lose her next duel on purpose. Uh, Sionji uh, reappears at the dorm, um, again begins hitting Anthe, um, saying she belongs to me, um, she's to do as I say forever, etc., etc. Uh, he challenges Utena to a duel to attempt to win Anthe back. Um, and despite resolving to lose the duel on purpose to extricate herself from this whole uh, fiasco, Utena uh, wins the duel. Uh, interestingly, we as the viewer uh, witness a ghostly prince who appears to resemble the prince of her childhood from the fairy tale, um, who descends from the floating castle to somehow aid, um, seemingly possess Utena in the fight. He kind of uh, uh, combines with her or something. Um, it's not exactly clear. 
Yeah. Um, and like at the moment of like doing the final thrust, the other thing that we haven't, we haven't mentioned yet is the duel is like you win when you knock the, the, the flower, flower out of the like breast pocket of the, the other duelist. Um, and so it's possessing her or controlling or, or aiding her in some way to like do that final strike to, to um, pierce the, the flower. Yeah. Um, there's also a magic sword that, uh, for some reason, just like emerges from Anthe's chest um, mm-hmm. when she yeah, says that we a saw incantation. Sionji use previously, and and now we see um, Utena. Utena, yeah. Utena just like knows to how to do this, like pull the sword out of Anthe's chest, like suddenly. Um, yeah, and Anthe is like seems She's a quick to just be. Yeah, Anthony seems to just be, like, totally chill with it. Um, So, um, anyway, not a lot of exposition here, Um, but uh, Utena wins, um, and uh, in the end, uh, they are, uh, Utena and Anthony are back at the dorm, and Utena, um, Anthony is like, oh, I thought you were going to lose the duel on purpose, and Utena is like, oh, well... I did it for Choo Choo, your pet, who we also forgot to introduce. Yeah, Anthony has little a little tiny, little tiny uh, monkey, like very Pokemon cute. style monkey. Yeah, it's very cute. Um, so Utena kind of like plays it off by being like, "Oh, well, I won for Choo Choo because Choo Choo Sionji uh, would be mean to Choo Choo if you were like, if you had to go back to Sionji." Um, so yeah, episode two. Yeah. Then episode three, on the night of the ball, um, Utena tries to convince Anthe to make more friends other than just Choo Choo. Um, also, like, we're kind of, like, getting some scenes of, of their life, like, everyday life here as well. Girls are fawning over Utena for being engaged to the Rose Bride. Hmm. <laughs> but, um, yeah, no no weird lesbian fantasy happening there. Um <laughs> But then um, Utena continues to brush it off and, and seems to be, like, saying to Anthony, like, hey, stop it. Like, I I just want to, like, like not have... Yeah, I don't want people to, like, possess you. I don't want you to be engaged to me. Stop it with the, like, Rose Bride stuff. Um, stop being, like... Stop calling me Mistress Utena and things. Um, and in the midst of this, they encounter another boy who has previously appeared, but we haven't talked about yet, Toga, um, who... Design wise, it is not too dissimilar from um, Sionji. Sionji, except instead of green hair, has like reddish hair, um, and it is maybe a little bit less jerk in terms of just the way he's drawn. Um, but they're <laughs> they're they're fairly similar in terms uh, of their, how they're drawn. Um, I just want to point that out. They're both long haired bishi of like a, a similar mold <laughs> um, in appearance. Um, but anyway, uh, Toga creepily touches her hair and basically says, like, oh, you have that ring so that I could meet you. Um, this is, in general, throughout the series, like, up until this point, Toga has seemed to be, like, a far better dude than Sayonji. This gives me weird vibes. Um, uh, <laughs> don't touch don't women say. like this. You yeah. don't say. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um... Later, boxes arrive with dresses for Utena and Anthe, and they ultimately decide to go to the school's ball. Um, but it turns out that 
uh, Toga's little sister, Nanami, who I think we've also seen a few times before this, but like this is really where she gets introduced. Um, she believes that to, uh, Toga has like eyes for Anthe and is jealous about that. Um, and so has laid a trap, is the one who sent the dress to Anthe um, and has this convoluted play. Well, it's not that convoluted, but it is kind of weird <laughs> of like, <laughs> this becomes a recurring thing with Nanami. She just does like weird plans to try and embarrass people. Um, and so this one is, uh, the dress will disintegrate when it's wet and she has like a, a plant who is going to, is like dressed as a waiter or is a waiter um, who walks by and opens a bottle of champagne so it will spray all over Anthe and thus disintegrate her dress. Um, Utena, who has also been wearing the dress that was sent to her throws off her dress um when i first saw this scene i thought that she was going to put the dress on um anthe but no just throws it off so that she's back in her like boys school uniform and looks like you know the the boys uniforms are like very princely i would say mm-hmm. um so it looks like this dancing prince uh jumping in and throwing off the dress and then grabs a drape like a tablecloth and like wraps it around and drapes and like creates this beautiful elf- elegant gown and like a, a quick um you know gesture uh and here is now uh anthe in this like beautiful white dress um again no lesbian fantasy possibly happening here definitely not <laughs> um, and then and then an extended like romantic dance sequence between the two yeah. of them immediately follows again no lesbian fantasy at all <laughs> happening here. Um, and then uh, Toga is like, oh, she took off the dress that I sent her. And then Nami's like, wait, you sent that dress to her? Oh, maybe you, maybe Utena is the one that you have eyes for and um, kind of switches her the target of her ire from Anthe to Utena, which will, will come up more as the series progresses. Um so these are the first three episodes. I figured we could kind of talk about these, um, especially the two Sionji episodes. And then um, on the night of the ball, there's some some interesting stuff to say about it. But, you know, um, I felt like we could kind of fold it in here for the, the interest of time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know if you have any immediate starting thoughts. I did write out, um, and I think it might actually be worthwhile to at least read the fable um, and yeah, possibly think- also the student council speech. Because these um, yeah. recur. Yeah, I think so. Um, I will say this series, like, probably more than, well, it's debatable. This series is definitely one that I would recommend, like, watching and not just listening to the podcast. Because mm-hmm. there is so much, like, the density of, like, significant information that is jammed in, uh it is just astonishing. And like, I only realized that when we went through the synopses and I'm just like, this doesn't even begin to, <laughs> to like, I mean, they're good synopses. We did like the best we could, but this doesn't even begin to like, yeah, make this coherent. I, a thing that happens like immediately in this series, in these first three episodes is the world behaves with like a strange dream logic, or at least like, yeah, there are parts of the world who just feel like the everyday life of being a, a student. And yet often what we end up focusing on are these things that like take you out of that and that follow these bizarre. Um, and so this is a, a big thing for me, which is that like, we will get into some of like, what is 
like what what's happening with some of this strange stuff. But um, a thing that often comes up around Utena is almost this like this allure reading of like, oh, let's like analyze all these things to like come to some like pure like metaphysical understanding of how does the world of Utena operate and and like um, what is going on in the same way that people might look at Evangelion and be like, and I'm bringing this up because I know you have a better frame of reference for that Connor mm-hmm. of like, Oh, what's, what's really happening with like Lilith and Adam and it like being in terms of like, how is this happening within a world where I'm like trying to understand it as a, a fictional world with like rules that like, how does this reality operate? in a way that is somewhat divorced from, like, what is, like, symbolically or, um, like, what is happening here that is actually gesturing towards, like, saying something about the real world. There's a certain approach to reading Utena that is, like, oh, how do we, like, really understand this as, like, this this metaphysical story about, like, the, the world is this egg that needs to be broken and like what's happening with time and it being this thing that is like let's figure out how the world works works in this like very wikiified sense if you're understanding what i'm meaning connor yeah i don't know yeah, if yeah. that makes sense to you yeah um and for me i i see a lot of this as operating in the space of fable and and like fairy tale where a lot of fairy tales operate with the strange logic that like doesn't really make sense in the real world, but is still speaking to something about the real world. Um, like the forest is just a thing that, that represents a lot of things like when it shows up in fairy tales, like the, the wilderness, the thing that is like dangerous and like, you know, at the, the edges of like, quote unquote, like tamed society or civilization or whatever. Um, and, and so things happen in the forest that are like kind of, um supernatural or things happen in in like folktale and fairy tale and fable that are yeah, are like more allegorical the narrative um, is driven more by like symbolic logic as opposed to like a literal like you know yeah a literal logic um, um and so like <clears throat> there is an approach to reading utena that is like how is this symbolic logic like how do we understand it as a like literal logic of like the way that the world operates um and i don't think that that is for me that is an interesting conversation i'm more interested in like what are they doing with this to talk about other things um which i'm assuming you're probably in the same boat there but but i want to like front load that immediately yeah um i think well i think we're gonna talk about this more in a second um (laughs) so uh let's let's uh frame up some of the like these uh refrains um mm-hmm. because i think i think these so, are yeah, important that's the other thing that happens a lot here is um anime will sometimes reuse footage and utena is a series that reuses a lot of footage that like like pretty much every time that we encounter the student council we will hear the speech and we'll see like them you know, riding up the elevator. Whenever there's going to be a deal duel, we're going to like get the short music video of walking up the stairs and like, um, you know, 
going to the platform and pulling the sword out of Anthe's chest and things like that. Um, and this like footage gets repeated. And yet I think like that repetition is fitting into, like it is using yes. it in a way that feels like they're not just doing it to fill time. Yes. Um, uh, they are like trying to like continue to like reiterate and reassert something. <laughs> so yes. Um, the repetitions for me, and again, like I think we're going to talk about this in a minute, so I don't want to go too deep into it, but um, the repetitions for me are like, I've watched seven episodes and I'm already like, this is immensely significant um, <laughs> because it's not only the repetition of like sequences, um, although that happens frequently and in a way that is like on its own significant, um, but the presence of like, various other forms of repetition and reiteration um, throughout the non throughout like the rest of the series that is not taking the form of just like reusing sequences. Um, yeah. Repetition there... in of itself is like continually happening and manifesting in various ways in this world uh, in a way that is like definitive in I think an important way. Yeah, I think we'll talk about this more. The, these episodes don't do it quite as much, but um, often within an episode, we'll also get the rules of threes that happens a lot in like fable and fairy tale, um, where like the story of the three little pigs and we like it when you're telling the story of the three little pigs, there's even a lot of repeated like, you know, and he huffed and puffed and blew the house down or whatever. And then it's like the third one that like will sometimes vary or whatever. Um, and we'll, we will get that in some of the other episodes that we even discussed today. Um in a way where, like, again, I think it is drawing on fable and fairy tale. And part of drawing on that form is the way that those forms are, like, often the the form of those, like, stories involve repeating certain, um, with, like, small variations, like, repeating certain things and then, like, developing it. And often, like, the third time it might vary or, or go in a different direction. Um, yeah. So um, I, I'm just putting it here now and I'm, I'm telling you as well, like we're, I, I'm not, I don't want to talk about it tonight because we, I need to prepare more. Um, and also maybe watch more of the anime. Um, but I already like there, there's going to be some theory bullshit um, <laughs> around this, like later on um, yeah. just for, for warning for all of you. Um, there's like, There's a, a lot to be said about, like, ritual and, like, myth uh, and, like, cyclic time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so We will, we will know, talk a lot about cyclic time <laughs> as we, we talk further about this series. Yeah, um, so look forward now. to that. If that sounds interesting, that'll so, be a topic of discussion later. So the fable. One of the cycled things here. Yeah, the fable. Um, I'm almost wondering if we just want to let's read it aloud in case I look up the English dub version of it. And it's really bad. Okay. Um, but I might just put in the English dub version here. Um, do you want, do you want me to read it or do you want to read it? Um, I'll, I'll go ahead and read it. Okay. Uh, so the fable, uh, that, uh, is the very first thing that happens in episode one, we are introduced to this fable. Uh, and so it goes once upon a time, years and years ago, there was a little princess and she was very sad because her mother and father had died. Before the princess appeared a traveling prince riding upon a white horse. He had a regal bearing and a kind smile. 
The prince wrapped the princess in a rose-scented embrace and wiped the tears from her eyes. Little one, he said, who bears up alone in such deep sorrow. Never lose that strength or nobility, even when you grow up. I give you this to remember this day. Uh, and uh, gives her this rose signet ring. This is accompanied by an animation as well. Um, the uh, princess says, we'll meet again, won't we? Uh, and the prince responds, the ring will lead you to me one day. Um, and the fable, uh, the narration of the fable uh, continues, perhaps the ring the prince gave her was an engagement ring. This was all well and good, but so impressed was she by him that the princess vowed to become a prince herself one day. Was that really such a good idea? Which, as the very first thing that happens in this series, is immediately figuring, like, this, like, fable and, like, fairy tale and myth, right? Like, that this is a thing that's, like, engaged with these ideas of prince and princess. Yeah. Um, and then also is immediately giving you this, like, queer tension of, like, oh, the the normal reading of this is, ah, the the... Like prince and the princess are going to end up married one day, but so impressed was she by the the prince that the princess is like, I'm going to be a prince someday. Yeah. So there's um, subversion then, immediately. Yeah. And then the narrator being like, Well, was that a good idea? Is it? Is it? <laughs> why? Um, why would we? Why would we break from the straight fable? <laughs> yeah. Um, another interesting thing that happens here. Um, so yeah, exactly like you're saying, like. Uh, the series itself is, it just, like, right off the bat is setting out this fairy tale, um, clearly, like, engaging with fable and fairy tale um, as a key theme. Um, but also, as you're pointing out, like, there are already, uh, at the same time, um, we're already seeing a kind of critical engagement where... Um, fairy tale its engagement with the series uh is doing some unconventional things with fairy tale um so the subversion that you point out um around gender roles um but also in the animation of the um the fairy tale uh this is something that happens uh fairly frequently in utena as far as i can tell um there's this animation style where the the uh bodies are just like completely blacked out um mm-hmm. so they're Again, like gesturing at this like shadow play exactly so they're essentially like silhouettes um and uh we see this in the animation of the fable um which i think um is also setting up a lot of stuff uh directly related to these questions about gender um and gender roles um it's setting up a lot of stuff around identity um, in the sense that these figures are anonymized. Um, so, uh, you know, we don't know exactly who they are. Um, they could be anybody. Um, and then that possibility of they could be anybody is like immediately gestured at here with the princess, like wants to become the prince. Um, but then, uh, continues to be like developed, um, as we go, uh, with the actual main characters of the series. Um, being introduced and then uh, in this kind of like evolving, shifting way, um, being mapped to uh, these like mythical figures um, in really dynamic ways. Um, 
that are not like uh fixed or static um so this kind of like anon this the uh anonymizing animation um is also like laying the groundwork um for all of this stuff that's uh going to happen later yeah um so in doing this as well i kind of want to like let's just bring in the the other so there's actually two other things that i want to talk about as repeated um there's a student council speech which we can get into um but it might also so I might even link here. There's a website that has a comparison of different translations of um, the main theme song, which is um, Zatai Ume Mokushiku Roku, which is uh, often translated as Absolute Destiny Apocalypse. Uh, but it, it is the song that song. it's not the like opening theme. It's the song that plays um, whenever she's like going up the stairs uh, to, to go to a duel. Um, and then like drawing the, the sword from, uh, Anthe's chest. And then, um, there's kind of a, it, it kind of feels like a continuation of the song, but it is like different versions that then happen during different, um, duels. Like the, the lyrics for the different duels are a little bit different. Um, but the, the main part that's the same for all of them is this beginning part. So I'm going to read the translation from the, um, let me see, uh, so I think the one that I have that I've been watching is, I believe, the Nozomi translation. The one that they list here is from the the 2011 DVD release, but this seems um, in line with like what I've been seeing for what's on Funimation. Um, the Absolute Destiny Apocalypse. The Absolute Destiny Apocalypse. Birth records. Baptismal records. Records of death. The Absolute Destiny Apocalypse. The Absolute Destiny Apocalypse. My own birth, absolute birth, apocalypse. A shining place in a desert of darkness, a gold-plated Shangri-La. Day and night turning back on one another, a time-plated paradise lost. The darkness of Sodom, the darkness of light, the darkness of distance, the endless darkness. The absolute destiny apocalypse, the absolute destiny apocalyptic darkness. Um, and then the last part is like variations of like Mokushi, Kushimo, which is like just mixing around the, the um, syllables of um, like the, the Mokushi part of Mokushiki Roku, um, which I've sometimes seen translated as like that part um, it is like this like absolute or like um, apocalypse part. Um, and so some people have like done parts where you'll do like apocalypse or like revelation, like the the uh, biblical revelation, and then they'll they'll mix those around. Like one of the the translations here does like revelation, lation rev, shun revela, <laughs> uh, <laughs> stuff like that. So, nice. um, but it, that's the part that's hardest to to translate because it's kind of just like playing with syllables at that point. Um, I think my translation but, just has like. Um, like apocalypse over and over again or whatever or okay. uh, it's it's the one word like over and over again which i think is probably more like makes more sense honestly yeah um oh for the the end part there yeah yeah that yeah that makes sense as well just like apocalypse 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 um it it's mixing it up and doing weird things but yeah <laughs> um the version that i have just doesn't translate it it just does the 
so it does like the Japanese lyrics in case you wanted to sing along karaoke style and then also the <laughs> English one um, and for that it just doesn't translate the English it just gives you the Japanese okay um, but it's such an iconic like phrase like people who are a fan of Utena know like the the Japanese title of the song so um, yeah I, I feel like most people kind of just get it from the Japanese but um do you want me to also do the student council speech or do you want to read this one? Um, sure, I'll, I'll read it. Um, okay. So uh, in one of these like repeating sequences is the student council riding an elevator up to like this weird roof, like this weird roof thing where they're like having their meetings. Um and yeah and the the student council just to like put this out here we'll talk about some of the other characters as we go on um but again supposedly anthe is a part of it but we we don't ever see her in the meetings and then the other ones are sionji toga um and then miki and juri um so we'll talk about miki and juri later Mm -hmm. in this episode Um, and as they're riding up uh the elevator on the way to their meeting um they have this speech that like first couple times first time you you watch it it's just like oh you know they're just like saying this amongst themselves because that's believable in like anime logic that they'll be saying this um and then maybe the second time you're like okay they're just like repeating the sequence for some reason um but then the third and fourth time you're like oh okay um you begin to realize like this is some kind of like incantation um, or begins to feel like some kind of incantation um, that they recite over and over again, like before each one of their meetings. Um, So uh, and it goes uh, as follows. If it cannot break an egg, it's eggs shell. A chick will die without being born. We are the chick. The world is our egg. If we don't crack the world's shell, we will die without being born. Smash the world's shell for the revolution of the world. Um, um, so hence, uh, we, we get our first hint as to what the revolution uh, in the, the title of the anime is. Yeah. Um, and also, I mean, if we look at the title, the, the revolutionary girl is Utena, supposedly. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll see as we go on, but um, so yeah, these these are things that um, like to some de- like they are going to recur to such a degree that um, I think it, at least we can wait until next episode if we want to talk a little bit more about them um, once we kind of seen the full student council uh, saga arc. But yeah. Um, I, yeah, I think I think it's important to like figure it here, and we can maybe talk like if you have any immediate thoughts about like what is it doing here, we, um, we can do that. But I think the two again, things we'll have, we'll have time to develop this further. Yeah, I think the two things that I want to talk about. Um, well, first of all, if you have any uh, additional comments, like if you want to talk about the animation style a little bit, um, I think we can do that. Um, but also. Uh, I want to just briefly talk, take a step back and talk about the world that we're presented with because um, we've touched on it a couple times um, and then maybe zoom in on like this core like propelling narrative uh, 
of like the Rose Bride and what's going on with that. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I. So I think like there's there's a few things going on with the animation for me. Um, that I talked about a little bit last time. Like one of them is I do think it is intentionally drawing on um Lotta Reiniger. And I think some of that is like this interest that I believe that they just have at like this this feels like an anime by animation nerds to, to a certain degree. Not mm-hmm. that like a lot of anime isn't, but like this <laughs> feels um this almost feels like student filmy about like its excitement about animation. Um, if I was to compare this to like another animator's work, I might compare it to someone like Don Hertzfeld, um, in terms of like, let's do this shoestring budget, but let's like really focus on even like things that we find exciting about animation that the viewer may not immediately get as being like, actually, that is a difficult technique that we are doing. Yeah. (laughs) Um, (laughs) because, uh, it is not what like when people have really high budget animation, they usually put it towards doing lots of frames, um, which does look great. Like Akira is a fucking amazing film. Yeah. <laughs> um, Red so, Line. Yeah. Red Line is an incredible film. <laughs> um, but, but this is still doing like other interesting things, but I think it is also pointing towards Lada Reininger as this early form of uh, animation that was specifically dealing with like fairy tales, like the, the um, I forget the, the full title. I was just thinking of it as Prince Ahmed, but like the, the Prince Ahmed film that she did is just like a doing a like sort of fairy tale story um, specifically about princes as well. And, and like, I think of any, like if anyone is like, I want to watch Lada Reiniger to like think about in relation to Utena. I would recommend Prince Ahmed because I think um, it is one that like has the significance as like considered one of the first or possibly the first um, animated feature films that I think gives it a prominence where it would be like more, I can more directly point to it. It's like, they probably have watched this um, as people like animating anime. Mm -hmm. Um, but also because I think it is going to like, again, it's about a prince. Like it, it is like dealing with these like um, similar themes of fairy tale, and so I, I would really point it. Like I'm considering rewatching it as part of going through Utena, <laughs> is what I will say. So, um, and and so I think it is like pulling on some of that stuff specifically to gesture towards the way that these old animation styles were doing these like things that they're also engaged with around fable and fairy tale. Um, It also then becomes interesting because I think it is also an animation style that is very interested in in purposefully making you aware of the artifice Mm -hmm. of animation uh, of having these scenes of like everyday life and then having the animation like inject itself into it in ways where um, we will often get, and this came up with like, Ray Earth as well, but I I think this is being even more intentional about the artifice of it, of like, you know, we talked about when Hikaru first sees Umi and Fu and Tokyo Tower, there's like the anime romance shot of like, you know, it's kind of like, has that Vaseline on the lens look. Yeah, it's a recognizable Um, like framing and yeah. (laughs) Um, And so, but this will just have like scenes and then suddenly there's just like a black 
like paper cut outline like border around it that will have like four roses in the corners of a certain color that is probably related to something that's happening in the scene like there are some color readings that people have done of like oh these colors are tied to these characters like yellow is often tied to judy and things Mm -hmm. like that yeah um and so they'll be like spinning in the the corners um often the when we see like uh the ghostly prince descend and and like you know merge with utena when that happens the the like shot is obscured by a spinning white rose yeah the hand-drawn rose is overlaid on like (laughs) over utena yeah, and it just, like, suddenly pops in in this way yeah. that is, like, very... Like, it almost feels like the way that they would, like, censor something, <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, and it it very clearly just, like, is... It, it's not smooth, right? Like, this mm-hmm. is not a critique of the animation, but it is, like, jarring in, the, in how abrupt it just, like, it's there in one... Like it's not there in one frame; it's there in the other frame, and that that is very palpable. Um, it yeah. it has that feeling of like, yeah, like uh, Water Reiniger, or like even like you know, um, you know, early early cinema, um, like it, almost gesturing at that kind of like um, the editing of like ex- very early cinema in that way. Yeah, yeah. Like things like uh, Man with a Movie Camera, where it's just like very obviously we are like filming one thing on the like we did the part where you cover the the top half of the lens and you shoot on the film and then you wind it back and then you cover the bottom half and shoot something else, um, and it's like very obvious the the effects that are happening in a yeah. lot of early cinema and that they are I think intentionally pulling on a lot of that and doing it in ways that are like again intentionally pointing towards there are things happening in the series and those things are like outside of normal reality that are to like some degree, like it is pointing towards an artifice to perhaps suggest like something that is like beyond reality of this world. Um, It is like, it isn't, it is a series that in many, many ways I think is not concerned with like, presenting reality to you except in the ways that it will sometimes present a suggestion of everyday life and reality so that it can like upset it (laughs) Um, yeah um absolutely uh and i just have two more like uh comments to add to that um so it is there are uh like we already talked about the the way that the series is just framed with fairy tale and fable. Like it it starts out with this like um, fable like overture um, that uh, just sets the stage for the entire series. So you know right away we're presented with this kind of like uh, one pole of this world is this like fairy tale, um, and. Uh, Later on, as we go, um, these sequences that you're talking about, the, the, they're like heavily influenced by Water Reiniger. Um, there are these, it's the shadow play with these, um, two like female marionettes. Um, mm-hmm. and they're discussing and commenting on, 
like the events of the episode. Um, and it's essentially functioning like as a Greek chorus. Um, mm-hmm. And this is like yeah. another, it's a repeating um, sequence with these marionettes um, functioning as a Greek chorus. Um, so uh, strongly evoking like the idea of um, theater, um, which I, to me, at least so far, like is um, another pole of this world. Um, so we have this world where it's like, on one hand, yes, you have this like quote unquote normal high school like quotidian experience um, that is like somehow kind of existing <laughs> um, in the midst of all of this. I-, I would say like a very small minority of the events uh, are like typical like high school stuff. Like there's stuff about them like. Um, Oh well, I've been so busy with like the the magical dueling that now I failed my exam and now I have to retake my exam. Um, so there's like this kind of central magnetic point of like this quote unquote real world um, that the series keeps getting drawn back into. Um, but at the same time, like it is palpable that the world is like also um, existing in this weird space between like fable and fairy tale um and also like a theater um like the artifice of theater um i think uh theater is also uh evoked in the soundtrack um it, at, at various moments i think one of the later iterations of um that main theme like evokes the idea of like theater um like the world, you know, the world being a stage, like the Shakespearean, a variation on that. Um, And uh, so all the more to say that like, um, like insofar as, you know, there's a lot of Reidegger sequences are are coming into play. um, The like animation style, um, the overlays uh, of these hand-drawn animations in a way that's like very much clearly like, um, not imminent to like the quote unquote real events that are being um, depicted. Um, all of this is like drawing attention to um, the artifice of this world um, and to like the unreality of it. Um, yeah. And, in, in, in all of these different ways. Um, I think before we move on there, there's kind of two things I want to head on. The first one is to talk a little bit about Sionji. Um, cause this is where we, we get the most of him. I mean, he, he will show up more. He shows up, you know, throughout some of these episodes. Um, and like, we are not really done with any of these characters. It's a, uh, 40 episode anime. I think, um, <laughs> we, we will be watching the, along with them for a while. Um, but I, I, for me, when I'm watching the series, I, I think especially early on, um, when it comes to Sionji, we, we like, I think in these first seven episodes, we can start to see, and, and we'll talk about how this develops with some of the other episodes, but that again, this is a, a series that is, um, I think concerned with and focused on like love and relationships, um, and, and how those are like defined by heteronormative society, especially, yeah. um, and Sionji is kind of 
I think, figured at the very beginning because it is the the most, like, direct and to the point of, like, Sionchi is extremely possessive, is, like, really gesturing towards these, like, extremely traditional repressive systems around marriage as, like, a man owning a woman. Mm-hmm. And this is what he wants. He, like, he wants to own Anthe. He wants to be able to, like, do whatever he pleases with her, which um, seems inevitably, to primarily be, like, hit her. <laughs> yeah, inevitably means physical abuse. Yeah. Um, and so this is the, like, the most clearly figured, like... Sionji is just like this abusive man. Um, if if anyone is like Sionji's good, fu- fuck you. No, he's bad. Um, I like I don't get people who think that Sionji is hot. Uh, he's not. He's a terrible, terrible man. Um, you can find people who will will hit you consensually if that's your kink. That is not the shit that Sionji's doing. <laughs> um, I'll just say that. Yeah. Um, but and, and so I think like like I don't know exactly how much I have to say about Sionji. Like I don't know if you have immediate thoughts on him, but I think in some ways he's the one who's the most setting of like, okay, here's the like really clear gl- groundwork of like, ah yes, like heteronormative relationships, especially in this like very repressive traditional style, um, is like, you know, marriage in its original form is a thing that is about owning a woman, and that is like inherently uh uh like you know i'm sure that for a long time of history where there was like a man owns a woman and knows what marriage means um there were still like nice happy healthy relationships and yet like that form is just like i don't think anyone there are definitely people who still view marriage that way but i i don't think like many people do this is not how we conceive of marriage today um and yet it is still like a thing that is baked into this idea of like marriage and and brides and everything um and is even as like this is the most extreme form that like this heteronormative system of of like a man and a woman often still to to some degree has like shades of it um, in modern society. Um, this continues to be a preoccupation of sitcoms is like the way that the, the woman has to do all the thankless work around the house or whatever, while the man just like sits around in his underwear, watching TV and saying like, where's my dinner. Right. Um, I feel like we've maybe moved past that a little bit with sitcoms, but like not that much. (laughs) (laughs) Um, this was extremely like what married with children, the sitcom was. Um, and we've certainly pushed a little bit, but like the Simpsons is still running and this is still kind of the Homer Marge dynamic. Right. Yeah. Um, Um, I think just to, uh, to take this like one step further, um, it's, so uh, I think in our intro episode, um, I talked a little bit about how watching Utena for the first time, uh, one of the things that really stands out to me um, and is really intriguing is um, just how frank it is about like engaging critically um, with a lot of this, with a lot of stuff around gender, um, just like immediately. Um, and we get it like immediately in episode one. Um, what is at stake here is like patriarchy. <laughs> um, yeah. And like the institution of marriage, like insofar as it is like a part of patriarchy. Um, and then like 
obviously, as well as zooming out to like larger questions about relationships and gender and stuff. Um, but I think like right off the bat, um, it's safe to say like patriarchy is immediately like in the crosshairs. Um, I think the introduction of like Sionji is him hitting Anthe. Yeah. That's like the it's, first it's... time we see him. Is he's we like, see him hey. briefly from afar talking to Anthe and then like he hits her. Yeah. It, yeah. The very first scene is like, yeah, exactly. Him, him hitting Anthe, um, his entire psychology and all of his dialogue revolves around like this sense of ownership, as you pointed out. Um, this then immediately plays into, because Sionji is like, I, I noticed you said we're not done with any of these characters yet, so I assume he continues to be present. Um, it'll it'll be interesting when we get to how he continues to be present in some of the later arcs, but <laughs> yeah, but he's like he's removed like very quickly um, from this from this dynamic um, after Utena beats him twice. Like he basically disappears for a few episodes, and then for the re- like remainder of the arc, he's not really present. Um, yeah, so he not... shows up sometimes almost as like uh, a comedic thing, where it's just In like so briefly six, say yeah. a thing and be like, "I have my 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 journal about how much I love Anthe," <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. In episode six, he like yeah. emerges, and the fact that he's like reemerging in episode six is itself a joke. And then he goes away again. Yeah, no one pays attention to him, and he just disappears. <laughs> yeah, um, but the point I'm trying to make is um, it, it's not really about Sionji. It immediately is spun into like this larger situation around the Rose Bride. Um, the Rose Bride is like, I think we talked about it a little bit, um, but she is like fought over in duels and whoever wins the duel uh, like owns her uh, literally like owns her. Um, and this is accepted by everyone for the most part, um, including Anthe um seemingly like enthusiastically accepted by Anthe. Um, although we can uh there's stuff going on with Anthe that we'll probably that we can look at that's pretty intriguing. Um uh but it's clear that this whole like ideological system of like everyone on the student council, um, and then it's implied like forces beyond that, uh the forces that control the school, et cetera, et cetera are all invested in this system. Um, this very much is like the hegemonic system of uh, the world of Utena uh, so far. Um, yeah. And, and it's clearly gesturing towards like patriarchy as a hegemonic system in the real world. Precisely. Um, yeah. Um, it's a system where like, uh, you know, women are like reduced to property. Um, they are like, you know, objects of transaction um, and then like, once they're in this, um, uh, once they're owned, um, in this marriage relationship, um, they are like then treated like property and, and subservient and like so on and so forth. Um, and all of this is just like fleshed out, uh, in very precise detail, um, very directly, um, throughout this, uh, all of these, um, parts of Utena. Um, now where I think like, and that's like episodes one and two. So we're already at this point. (laughs) Um, 
it then begins to get more interesting, uh, I think, in the ways that um, the series shows how this system um, uses, uh, instrumentalizes various people of various alignments um, and who have various attitudes towards it um, to uh, replicate it, um, how it co-ops people's emotions um, and psychological experiences um to to then like um reproduce it um so yeah. it, it it shows like in some ways it frames up this patriarchy as kind of like uh or it frames up this as an object of critique in like episodes episodes one and two and you're like oh yeah that's obviously stupid um or you know it's obviously like something to be uh uh your critical gaze is directed at it um, but then what becomes interesting is how uh, the show um, it begins to reveal how pervasive and how powerful it is, um, even though like, oh, yeah, episode one, we already rejected this, uh, but it still continues to have power um, and uh, uh, control people um, Yeah, as, as we go. Um, the other thing I want to talk about before we move on to the next episode is... Um specifically like queerness and and tennis queerness um we can kind of talk about queerness more broadly as we go on but i think like um utena and maybe to some degree like wakaba here are the the two big ones to talk about um as a note based on something that you said um i i kind of want to save some talk about like what's going on with anthe when we get to next episode mm-hmm. um because i know that like our understanding of Anthe is going to continue to evolve as this series progresses. And I think we'll have a next episode. We'll have a good point to be like, okay, let's like really talk about what do we think is currently happening and going on with Anthe? Um, because that is going to continue to be like, what is going on with Anthe is going to continue to be a question in the series. Um, and I, I think, I, I feel better about talking about it after we've seen like the full saga. Sure. Um, yeah. So, but I, I think it's good to like, especially in this very beginning, because I think it will continue to develop and it even develops somewhat in these episodes to like quickly talk about like the initial impression of Utena's queerness. Um, so th- there are a few things going on here that I want to like quick highlight. And I don't know, like we are going to continue to talk about queerness here. So I don't know how much we really, really want to go into depth, but like, Gender is happening. Oh, um, yeah. We've already talked about Utena and like the fable, the very first thing that we hear where um, Utena wants to be a prince. Um, and throughout the this, like, you know, I think especially early on, she's like, you know, I'm not a boy. I don't really want to be one. I just like dressing this way. This is kind of like a way that she she's positioning it. Um, overall, I think like, even within the same realm of like, I was talking previously about like the Shinji is a trans girl reading. I don't think there is a lot of Utena as a trans boy reading. Like, I don't think that's really what's happening here, but rather this, like there's something different happening with, I want to be a prince that is separate from like, I want to be a boy. And I, mm-hmm. the show will like, it sets this up early on and I don't think it like is going to fully complicate that, but it, it is going to still complicate this. Like, what does it mean when Utena is like, I want to be a prince. Um, and gender is still happening there and, and queerness is still happening there, especially yeah. because it is, it is 
as that fable sets up, it is engaging with like this idea of princess and print, like the prince and the princess and how those relate um, and how those relate within like a, a um, heterosexual fable. Right. Um, but then what happens when like Anthe is clearly the, the princess and then like Utena is this like butch prince. Um, yeah. And so and then it, Anthe is mapped in various ways visually uh, to the prince uh and yeah yeah (laughs) and antenna is like then mapped uh in some ways to like uh the princess there's like this cross mapping that is happening yeah the 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 prince from the fable that we saw and that also like comes down from the tower um has visual similarities with uh, with Anthe. And so there's almost like a reversing that happens between like the fable of the prince coming in, like saving um, Utena, the princess and like kissing away her tears. And now it is like swapped where Utena is the prince. And then Anthe is the, the princess. Um, so this will, this will continue to develop. We'll, we'll get more around um, the prince and everything. Um, so again, yeah, I don't know how much I really want to dig into it here. I, I feel like we might have more to talk about when we get to the, like we've watched all of the student council saga. Um, but I do want to figure here a little bit, especially as we kind of talk. And I, I think it's really important as we go through this too, of like Utena's thing about wanting to be a prince and how I think even this episode starts, like these seven episodes start, um, well, I'm just trying to break in again. Uh, starts <laughs> to like, um, mess with that or like complicate that. Yeah. Um, um, I'll just be, because it's relevant to episode one. Um, this is another thing that I was really intrigued by. Um, just how like, um, cavalier is the wrong word. Um, but just how like forceful and frank the series is about like this oh like this is what we're doing um in episode one like i think the the very first sequence with utena is like a throng of like schoolgirls like romantically fawning over her and being like oh my god utena like you're so cute like blah 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 um in this way that's really recognizable um in like you know heteronormative arrangements yeah um like in another in anime um but we here also, it's like i think in that first episode get um utana just like absolutely schooling some boys at basketball and just looking the yes. most butch of yes. any of these episodes in her like basketball outfit and <laughs> then wakaba like so we have like utana walking down the pathway to go to school being thronged with like all of these girls who have a crush on her and then Wakaba who like her friend um, who is like immediately like jumping on her and like draped all over her and like having various innuendos around like, I love you. Like you're my real, like um, there's a, there's like a, I, the, I think the very beginning of episode one is like Wakaba and a couple girls being like, oh, who are you waiting for? And Wakaba's like, oh, my boyfriend. And the girls are like, oh, yeah, Utena, like, already left. <laughs> yeah. And so, like, there's a, there's this, like, transposition of, like, you know, Wakaba is regarding Utena as her girlfriend. Um, 
And it's complicated by like Wakaba as a Christian Sionji and blah, blah, blah. Um, but that's but then literally also, like the very beginning of episode one is like <laughs> all of this like just content like you know like gay like symbolism yeah um, well and even with the Sionji thing like the beginning of episode two after the duel is like Wakaba reading a book and Utena being like oh she seems like mad um like she's like sad or something she's reading this book, but kind of talks to her. And then she turns around and is like, yeah, when I first read this book, I thought it was really stupid. Cause it's about this girl who like wants this guy and then finds out that really this other guy is like the, the one for her is like the, the true love. Um, and now I'm reading it. And I'm like, this, this is great. This is, this is like wonderful. And also you're the true one for me. Yes. <laughs> um, like- and so like, after the the first episode too is like even more like yeah I I briefly had this like crush on Sionji but like clearly you are my my partner you're the one who I love um, yeah. you defended me when he was cruel to me so yeah and like just all of this to say like this is all set up immediately overwhelmingly um in a way that like to tie this back to Ray Earth um. It for me, like, and we talked about this. Um, if you listeners, if you have not listened to our Ray Earth podcast, uh, please go back, listen to it. It's great. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna put it as a work cited for this episode as a, a bit, but also like, yes. <laughs> we talked about like in Ray Earth so much of what is actually represented um and allowed to like be said and done and come into like existence in the world um in like ray earth is uh you know this this heteronormative stuff um so the stuff that's actually allowed to be uttered around like oh you know you know sexualized like relations um like romantic like sayings things that are allowed to actually explicitly be stated um are often like uh around this like heteronormative axis in a way that like okay well the stuff that's most visible in this world is this like heteronormativity and then you have this like queerness um yeah at the margins like surging through and when the queerness is most explicitly stated, it is still couched in this like vagueness of what love can mean being like romantic versus like filial or like friendship or things like that. Um, so at one part, part it's like couched in that to some degree. And then also is being voiced by like the villain of the second season. <laughs> Precisely. Um, and Utena is just like, just swaps it. <laughs> yeah <laughs> like immediately just like swaps it and is like okay like this world is going like the overwhelming like the the ambient like reality of this world is just going to be like inundated with this like homoeroticism um and then it's going to be like mitigated at the sides like a little bit here and there by like this like these like assertions of straightness and stuff that kind of like appear and then fall away. Um, but but and, also I, I think continue to be a, a preoccupation. Um, absolutely. Um, th- like, yeah. but in a weird way where the preoccup, like straightness 
is more often i think in this series actually relegated to the like the duels and like what what it's going on with the rose bride and all of that stuff um and not the day-to-day life of like utana just hanging out with wakaba and like being girlfriends basically (laughs) yeah um so uh yeah um maybe uh we should talk about the next episodes um Um, i I will just say because the thing that we talked about as well is the way that in season one although it is less explicitly stated um it it is almost like in season one of, of ray earth uh the queer like poly relationship that the three magic knights have um is kind of just there and then it becomes complicated in season two and i, I think there we will continue to get like i don't want to say this is just going to f- repeat the same pattern but i i do think that like this series is going to continue to intrude um like heteronormativity into the story in ways that will complicate things and and will intensify um as well so like i think some of ray earth almost also figured this but again in a far less understated way whereas this is far more explicit um yeah and and we see this in like this vacillation of like centered on utena where she's like oh you know all of this stuff is happening and then she has this dialogue around like um one of the lines i quoted here is like i think episode three um, in spite of appearances, I'm a normal girl. I don't want a bride. All I want is a totally normal boy. Um, and then there's like some irony to that, that like the context gives. <laughs> um, but she has this, like this dialogue is, is happening at the same time that like, you know, all this other stuff is going on. Um, yeah. So, yeah. But anyway, let's, let's move on to episodes four and five. So, episodes four and five. Um, the Sunlit Garden. Both yeah. of these are the Sunlit Garden. Um, so, in episode four, um, we learn more about the secretary of the student council, a boy named Miki. Um, sometimes translated as Miki. Um, I, I know it is in mine. Um, yeah, in mine, they like comment on it as one of his nicknames. Okay. Um, I think we might have the same one then. Uh he plays piano. Um, he's a, a virtuoso, apparently. Um, but he's been in search of some feeling that he lost. Um, initially, it's quite vague uh, what this is. He's hoping he can find this feeling again um, to express his true feelings for a girl. Um, he's kind of composing this song. He can't, you know, he can't finish it because he needs that feeling. Um, and the song is going to be what conveys his feelings to this girl, um, who we presume to be Anthe, um, who others, uh, the other members of the student council presume as well. Uh, Miki and Anthe run into each other, and Miki uh, decides to help both Anthe and Utena, uh, who need to retake their math tests due to poor grades, because this is a totally normal school um, yeah. <laughs> where grades matter a lot. A, a quick interjection, because I just started reading the manga, um, the part that I've read so far is actually before the events of the anime and it is like how Utena comes to this school in the first place. And it implies that like 
there's an Amsterdam that she was going to go to. And then she goes to this Academy instead. And like, you know, talking about like cities in Japan. And they're just like, what the fuck is this? This is not Utena. (laughs) Yeah. No, that's, it's not some weird, uh, dream Academy where people are hanging out. (laughs) Some weird, like ruined, like vaguely Mediterranean, like landscape. Yeah. I do not believe that Amsterdam exists in the world of the anime. (laughs) Yeah. No. Um, so anyway, um, but math tests do exist. Um, so, and they're failing. So, uh, they need to, uh, uh, retake their math exams. And it turns out that Miki is also like a math prodigy. Um, he's just I mean, math like, and music. They're, they're, they're similar. They're related. Yeah. He's just, uh, like a total whiz kid. Um, so Miki comes by one day with Nanami, uh, for a study session and Nanami, um, there's like this kind of repeating comedic sequence where Nanami tries to embarrass Anthe um, with ploys to make it seem like she keeps various bizarre animals um, only to then find out that Anthe already keeps various bizarre animals and that Utena and Miki just like don't care at all and think it's like kind of charming actually. We're going we're um, to talk about another Nanami episode that's extremely crow high but this is also a little bit crow high. <laughs> Yeah, we have like an eruption of Crow High in episode six that we're gonna have to talk about. Um, yeah, but we get a taste of it in episode four. Um, yeah, for sure. This like repeating of like three times of it being like the same joke with slight variations. Um, and you be like part of the joke being like, well, I wonder how it's gonna go this time. Feels yeah. very Crow High to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and uh, so um. After the failure of this, like, scheme, um, Nanami finally explodes on Anthe when she serves shaved ice as a meal, uh, as dinner. Um, she questions why anyone thinks Anthe is so great when she's just weird. Um, Anthe leaves during this argument and goes to play the piano, um, playing the Sunlit Garden, um, which is the same song that Miki has been, uh, playing and practicing. Um, so that was the prelude and then in the finale, um, so again, both of these are the sunlight garden as like the title, but, um, so the other members of the student council are basically noting that Miki seems to have gained some new strength. Um, and again, are like, you seem to have some crush on Anthe and, and it's like, you know, your, your dueling is better now. You're, you know it seems like you're, you're playing on the piano a little better now or like with more feeling. Um, and so we actually learn a little bit more about the story of the sunlight garden. Um, it was some song that, uh, supposedly Miki composed with his sister Kozue. Um, they played it together on the piano and were meant to give a performance. Um, his sister Kozue was, was really nervous about performing and Miki was like, you know, I, don't worry, I'll be there. Um, I'll, I'll support you. But then fell ill with the measles um, and was unable to. And uh, so because she was nervous and everything, um, she had to perform solo, became overwhelmed, ran off crying um, mid-performance and, and supposedly never played piano again. Um, 
a thing that recurs without throughout the series is that we often get people telling something from their perspective. Um, but the, the series plays with like different people who have different perspectives on the same event, um, which I'll, I'll get to in a moment. Um, but, and so Miki is seeking to recapture the feeling of his sister's playing who he believed to be far superior than his own playing. Um, then uh, he also continues to protest against the system that ties Anthe to the will of like the person that she's been engaged to, um, her betrothed, saying, I can't forgive a system that pre- uh, deprives someone of their personal freedom. Um, Notably, and... this is uh, what Utena says. Utena says this, and yeah. he is like swayed and then says it to the council in the next yeah. scene. Um, so yeah, to some degree is like being swayed by, by Utena and, and seems to be like kind of happy with this arrangement of like, oh, it seems like Utena does what, or that Anthe is like able to do whatever she wants because Utena is fine with that. Um, and what I want is for Anthe to play the piano with me. And it seems like Anthe wants to play the piano with me and she gets to play with the piano with me, um, is like kind of what's happening under the surface here. Um, but while playing, um, once Toga comment, I believe it was Toga and not Sayonji. Um, Oh, it's Toga. Yeah. 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 yeah, it was Toga. Um, says that unless you defend the precious things you possess, people will take them away from you. There's also um, an important there's an important like detail of this scene as well that like I don't think we should omit, which is that like this is Toga says this like in the scene where it is revealed that Miki's sister goes to the same school. Yeah. And the way it's revealed is that like Miki is going into the music room and Kozue is coming out and they bump into each other. And Kozue is like, oh, like, you know, you're going to play piano, like, blah, blah, blah. And then Miki goes into the music room and, like, Toga is sitting there with, like, his shirt unbuttoned. Like, <laughs> yeah. Basically, he's just, like, hooked up with Kozue. And then delivers this line of like, unless you defend the precious things you possess, people will take them away from you. <laughs> um, I I forget too. I think Kozue has a certain line too of like, there are other things you can play in the the music room than piano. Um, the, yeah, in my translation, it wasn't quite that innuendo. It it was like, <laughs> there's yeah, you know, there's other things you can do in there. But the same yeah. like, the same point is is made. Yeah. Um, but anyway, um, and so then this is kind of like getting thoughts and worries into to Miki's head, it seems to be. Um, and so he's then having this conversation with Anthe being like, uh, you know, so you have to do whatever the person that you're engaged to says. And like, oh, you're playing with piano with me because like Utena is OK with it and like hasn't commanded you to stop. But like, so if she said that you couldn't play piano with me anymore would you have to not play piano with me anymore? And Anthony's like, yep, that's how it works. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Yeah. If she, if she was like, don't play piano with Miki anymore, I I would never play piano with you again. Um, (laughs) And Miki's like, well, fuck. And he goes and challenges Utena to a duel. Um, So again, how committed was he really to this? uh, I can't forgive a system. Again, I think this is a thing we'll talk about, but there's like a certain Mm -hmm. twisting of like, Mm-hmm. And I think it's also complicating things with Utena here. Mm-hmm. Um, but 
Anyway, during the duel, um, Miki is doing a fairly good job holding his own against um, Utena, but then when Anthe cheers for Utena, um, Miki stumbles, you know, presumably is kind of shaken with like, oh, maybe actually Anthe does, you know, want to be with Utena, does does like like being with her. I've kind of convinced myself that Utena is somehow oppressing Anthe, but maybe that's not the case. Um I think we can read that into like that moment of stumbling, but basically stumbles when, when Anthe cheers um, and uh, Utena pierces the, the flower and wins the duel. Um, and then after this duel, we learn that uh, Kozue uh, is basically, I think talking to one of her friends and mm. is, is saying like, yeah, I used to play with my brother. I was never that good at it. Um, Miki was so exceptional that like, even though I was playing poorly, he could, he could fill it in and make it sound good. Um, and like really after that, that performance where like, it was just clear that I'm not good at playing piano. Um, like I'm, I, I don't really want to anymore. <laughs> um, yeah. I'm not actually good at it. My brother is the one who's the virtuoso. Um, so again, different, story i think we're meant to believe that her story is perhaps more true than miki's but um we we often will get these conflicting stories about events throughout the series yeah. so. there, there's stuff around like um just by way of like agreeing with you on that final point um there's a lot of stuff with miki around like imperfection um i think it's yeah. jury that says like oh you know your strength is your imperfection um he is constantly striving for perfection um it's like a fixation that he has uh and then like but he's also fixated on his sister's playing which is like this missing piece that he he feels like he can't uh regain and that he needs to like do whatever uh to be fulfilled and like it's revealed that like her style is defined by like the fact that she her playing is imperfect. Uh, yeah. And like, that's what he's missing, but he can't realize, like he, he doesn't uh, realize that. Yeah. Um, I, so some of this, like just in the interest of time, there, there's a, a degree to which like we can dig into things again, characters will recur. Um, I think one of the biggest things like we've brought up here, but I think we can continue to talk about as the series goes on this like idea of perceptions versus reality. And so Mm -hmm. um, I think we've already gestured at that is happening here to such a degree that um, I feel okay, (laughs) not really diving into that in this specific instance. Um, And I, I, I think for these episodes, it might make the most sense to just focus on like, okay, Miki is a character and then how is his like relationship to this um, Rose Bride system kind of complicating to some degree our understanding of what Utena is doing? Um, yeah, I because I, I both of them profess this idea of like the system where people can't do what they want um, is like a, a a system that I can't support, um, and yet both of them. To, to some degree are willing to take part in that system to like to be the one who is with Anthe to like let Anthe then 
do what she wants. Um, and so with Miki, we can clearly see within these episodes, like, okay, but he is actually getting this certain possessiveness because what he wants is, I think in a way that like love sometimes is, is this like weird, messy thing. Um, and, and we can talk about this more when we get to like the final episodes that we talk about. But, um, like in some ways, w- what Miki wants is for Anthe to be free to choose what she wants to do and for the thing that she's choosing to be to play piano with him. Yeah. Um, but that within this system, it is like it is kind of impossible for him to know. <laughs> does Anthe actually want to play piano with me? It seems like she does. Yeah. Um, and, and but also. And like, it seems like she does, but also this is a system where like that could be taken away from me if I don't own her. And so maybe if I just own her, then it'll be okay. Um, in a way that like Utena is kind of also playing this game. Um, but I I don't think at least at this point, we've really seen it. There, there's a degree where it is like clear that what is happening with Miki is this twisting of, I want this person to be free. And so I'm going to possess them. Um, I want this person to be free to like, love me in the ways that I want. And so I'm going to possess them. And I am like trying to bend this person to what I want, but convince myself that it is like the, the correct and, and, um, noble. And like, I'm, I'm safeguarding their personal freedom. And that there's no alternative. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that I'm not acting with ulterior motive. I'm just trying to do the thing that's in the best interest of them, which happens to be for them to spend time with me. <laughs> yeah. Which happens to be what I think is in their best interest. Yeah. Because ha- of course it has to be. Yeah. Um, and and so, like, we haven't seen a, a version of that with Utana. We, we can still believe in Utana being, like, actually doing this in, in a way that is, like, safeguarding Anthe's ability to do whatever she wants. But it is calling into question, like, can Utana actually do that? Um, yeah. At all. Um, because the yeah. system is set up in such a way that, like, it is it is actually extremely hard in these episodes to know what does Anthe want, other than that she just seems to be bought into, like, yep, I'm whoever I'm engaged to, I'm their rose bride and I do whatever they say. Um, yes. Anthea's responses don't help at that pivotal moment where Yuki <laughs> is like struggling with this and trying to decide what to do. Um, and he's like, it's a dialogue that you already mentioned that we, I think we touched on our synopses, but he's like, Oh, like, do you like playing the piano? And then her response is like, yeah, like, when Mistress Utena, like, tells me to. Or, like, will you continue playing the piano? And it's like, yeah, if Mistress Utena tells me to. And then it's like, well, but what, what, But if she told you to stop, would you? And then Anthony's like, oh, yeah, like, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if um, Mistress Utena told me to. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, like, at, at, that's kind of the moment where Miki is, like, you know broken and like or his resolve is broken and he like decides to duel um but yeah you're right like to continue the discussion we were having um the rose bride dynamic like so it's set up with sionji and then like in a way that we can easily dismiss um but then the first domino to fall is like utena herself because you know she like 
ha- she participates in the system insofar as she like becomes the owner of Anthe and like does all of this dueling. And as the episodes go on, it's like clear that her participation in this system is like the powers that be are like anticipating it and prescribing it. Um, and that it's not really like in this moment, at least it's not really disruptive. In fact, it's like, um, very much just reproducing, um, the larger structure. Um, even though Utena, like the texture of what her relationship with Anthe is within this dynamic is like a little bit different. And we can zoom in on that, um, in a second. Um, but then like, but all of that just to say, like, you know, Utena's co-opted into the system and then starts to reproduce it for her, her own reasons, even though she is very opposed to it. Um, and so that is problematized and that problem kind of hangs over, like, everything. Uh, like, the, this this whole thing as we move forward. Then we have Miki, who, like, is swayed by Utena, rejects the system, uh, actually is, like proposes to dissolve the student council. So he's actually going a step further and being like, yeah, let's dissolve the system. Um, and then Toga stages this, like, I don't know what, what we want to call it, but like Toga basically like hooks up with his sister in a way that like he intends for Miki to like happen upon. And then like, in that moment of vulnerability is like tying this to like, Oh, Hey, look, I just took your sister from you. Like, um, so now like defend the precious things that you possess or people will take them away. Um, in that moment, like reducing these, like the woman that Miki cares about, um, to things, um, that are possessed. Um, he, in, uh, you know, ideologically influencing him, um, trying to bring him into this way of thinking. Um, I don't want to use the word brainwash, but he's, he's trying to like fuck with his mind basically. Um, and then like ultimately succeeds, um, in playing on Miki's vulnerabilities, um, and his like pain. Um, yeah. To, and, like, and also like, in, in a broader sense, doing this work that, um, like most hegemonic systems do, where, yes. where they take certain, like, revolutionary impulses against it and find ways to um, spin it around into a thing that will actually continue to support it. Um, Absolutely. By sort of saying, like, oh, you have this impulse for, like, there should be, like, this person should have personal freedom. And so the solution is, well, if you're just in control, you can like ensure that Anthea has personal freedom. Yeah. Um, in a way that again... stokes, it stokes <laughs> the underlying, like the same underlying like affect and like emotional identification that like the system runs on, which is like that possessiveness. Um, yeah. But in a way that like the person reconciles to their own, like ideological opposition. <laughs> Um, yeah yeah and like it's, uh, it's therefore much stronger and insidious yeah and it, it is that's really interesting in relation to utana which like 
again, throughout this, like, Utana continues to be really averse to, like... Like, we, we don't ever see Utana really giving commands to, to Anthe in this same way. Um, there's some stuff like, you should make more friends, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, is, like, maybe the, the most, but, like... Um, I, I think there's a certain intentionality of like, Utena is like really trying to reject all of this. Um, but I think this, these episodes really highlight that, like, that, that in and of itself is probably not enough. Right. Yes. Um, And also like, we can look at, it's very subtle. Um, but I think like the texture of that relationship, like, in her passivity, and, and this is maybe leading into a discussion about Anthe, in her passivity, like, Utena allows Anthe to, like, take on certain roles that Utena, I think we can extrapolate, like, Utena wants. Um, and there are moments where Utena, like, pushes back on certain things, and then certain things she does not push back on. Like, for example, the one that stands out most to me is the fact that, like, Anthe cleans the entire, like, house. Um, yeah. Like, the dorm for Utena. And there's, like, extended sequence of her, like, cleaning. Um, and she's doing, like, seemingly all these domestic duties, like, making dinner, cleaning, like, blah, 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 blah. Um, and in a way that, like, maybe Utena herself, like, does not even realize um is like this is still happening um there's still like this dynamic at play um where like yeah Utena's pushing back on certain things but also like there's space where she's not pushing back that like this dynamic is still present here as well yeah um I don't know if you want to move on to the next episode. Like there, there's still interesting stuff here, but I think, um, I feel like I've hit the, the, the biggest parts for me about what's happening here. Um, and again, like, I think we'll continue to talk overall, like a, as things repeat, as characters like continue to reenter and leave the story. Um, I think we'll have more time to like further explore things, but, um, for me, that's the heart of this episode we, we've hit on. I don't know if there's anything in particular you want to pull out. Um, um, the one thing I want to touch on, because I think episode five is a good place, um, Anthe's like interiority and agency. Um, watching these seven episodes, it... So... You know, there's this aspect of Anthe where she's like seems to be fully brought in, bought into the whole Rose Bride thing. Um, she articulates this party line uh, frequently, um, but there's also a sense of like that she is that she has a deeper interiority that is not like immediately apparent. And that she's yeah. exerting agency uh, in, like, these very subtle ways uh, around the margins of, like, what the system allows her um, in a way that, like, she's actually exerting, like, a great deal of, like, or maybe not. 
some extent of like power and control um, in spite of like all of these appearances and like the constant abuse and oppression that she's under um, and kind of uh, exerting agency at a higher level. Um, I think this is hinted at in the dual sequence. Um, yeah. I think this, this is a good moment because there's a, a thing I want to pull up here as well while you, after you talk about it. Okay, perfect. Um, so this dual sequence is fantastic. Um, Miki thinks that he's fighting for, uh, for Anthe's like freedom and blah, blah, blah. Um, he has an internal monologue at this pivotal moment of the duel where he's like looking at Anthe and he's like, I can see in her eyes that she wants to be free. Um, and he's obviously thinking like free with him, like free as a result of him winning the duel. Um, yeah. And he's like, I have to win this for Anthe. I can see that she wants to be free. Um, so all in this sequence, like we are primed to be thinking about like, what does Anthe want? Um, and then like immediately after that, um, she cheers for Utena, like at this key moment <laughs> that turns the tide of the duel. Um, it's yeah. literally like the very next moment after Miki is thinking this. Um, she's never cheered before in any of these other duels. Even when you think she would, cause like who the fuck wants to be with Sionji? Um, like this is the first time she does that. Um, yeah. And this is this is the one thing that I want to bring up that it's not cheering like this, but um, there is the moment with the first duel with Sionji where um, she's kind of she like explains to Utena here are the rules of the duel and puts the the flower on there and says like good luck basically, um, and then Sionji's like what the fuck yeah Sionji's like slaps her and is like why would you say good luck to her you belong to me, um, and so. That moment also is like Sionji reacts in like this extreme way to to her just seeming to be like doing this like cursory like ah uh, you're a duelist let me tell you how this goes like almost like good luck like you could read it as like good luck as the like formality of like mm-hmm. the way that you would do that for any contestant <laughs> um but that also may because she doesn't really say good luck to like the other duelists throughout this yeah. um yeah. and so then also suggests perhaps we as an audience are invited both in that moment as well as in this duel that Anthe does want to be with Utena. Um, but I think that, that is still, that is a thing that is like being suggested, but that I, I, I also, I want us to continue to be like, there's so much around the, um, there, there's so much obscuring around Anthe's interiorities that I think, um, at one, it is like holding it up, but at the same time, it is like so. Her interiority is so obscured that um, I, I think, like, you know, listeners who are watching along with Utena for the first time, like, continue to think about, like, let me look into Anthe. What does it seem that she's like actually thinking? What does it seem like she's actually trying to do, even as she's like being seemingly um, silent and passive? Because th- this will continue to develop. Um, yeah, and and I will just say like. It's not only in this episode, it's not only that she's like expressing her preference, it's that she, the fact of her cheering, like turns the tide of the duel. Yeah. Um, and I think you can read it, you can read this sequence as being like, Anthony knows that that's what's going, that that is what the effect is going to be. And she cheers yeah. at that key moment because she knows that it's going to like shatter Miki. 
um, and then he's going to lose. And that's like her deciding that duel um, by virtue of doing that. Um, and uh, this, um, I can't help but think about like the conversation that we had around like Ray and Ava. Um, it's not obviously not the same, um, but I think there is like shades of similarity here in like Anthony is so like heavily abused um and like a victim of oppression uh in like at least this sequence or um this sequence of episodes um and yet the series is like very very subtly um giving us some indications of like there's something going on like internally that it's very obscured but there's something going on there that you can like read into um and not just be like oh yeah anthe is just like purely like we don't have to just be like anthe is purely bought in to like the rosebride thing um and has no agency like there's stuff here where it's already kind of like maybe not Yeah. Um, do, do we move on to episode six here? <laughs> yeah. Um, episode six. <laughs> what a great episode. Um, I will preface this by saying, uh, when you told me that, like, when we were doing Crow High, you were talking yeah, I think when about, we like, did the question bucket, I, I was like, I started rewatching Utena and I was like, shit. <laughs> But yeah, like Crow High is like influenced by Utena, and when you told I me that, I understand the like, the girls' school part at the end. It's literally just calling out Utena as like a clear reference point. <laughs> yeah, and when you told me that, I was like, oh, okay, like that makes me a little bit. I'm already excited about Utena. I'm a little more excited now. Um, that's intriguing, uh, but it makes sense. Like I'm sure the Crow High people who watch Crow High probably like watched Utena and are like you know making reference to it here and there. Um, and then I watched episode six of Utena. So this and, was the episode that I watched and I was like, shit, shit. Yeah. This is, this is, this is like Crow High. This is yeah. Crow High. Yeah. This is like, a, a, I'm fully convinced at this point that like, this is a key influence for Crow High. Yeah. Um, I don't know how to read the girl school in the final episode other than just a direct, like, yeah, no, we're, we are pulling from Utena 100%. <laughs> Yeah, like, the absurdist set pieces, the tonal, like, mixing. The, um, like, repetition of, like, a joke format, but with, like, weird variations. Um, yeah, the sequencing of, like, the, yeah, of the comedic, like, bits. Um, <laughs> and, like, yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's Crow High all and, over. And, it's so and fucking also- good. You know, Crow High did it somewhat differently, but also the the way that, like, we talked about with Crow High of, like, this is clearly, they put most of the budget in Ghost in the Shell standalone complex and not in Cromarty <laughs> High School. And yet they are doing stuff with a low budget that is, like, playing into comedy and that it is, like, um, also doing stuff that might actually be slightly annoying to animate, um, even as like, it, it is probably easier. Like it is still probably cheaper, but it is like 
probably it sometimes crow high i think looks worse than it actually is and i think utena also sometimes looks like quote unquote worse animation than it actually would be to animate some of this stuff um and so i think even in terms of like how they are animating crow high is doing it from like a uh like fully digi paint like computers are involved um like version of it and yet i think is also still like intentionally using the low budget in interesting ways to a degree where like even that feels like they're shouting out utena as like yeah yeah <laughs> Here, here's yeah. one of our influences and even that like on this point the animation style like one of the things we noted in the animation of crew high is like the overlays and how different like animation styles are overlaid on one another um how you just have like objects uh that are just like overlaid on like the ostensibly like real frame of like them being in school. And then you just have like an object animated in a totally different style, like come <laughs> whirling in from like off screen or whatever. Yeah. Um, like that's 100%. <laughs> the way, <laughs> like, the exactly. way that they, the framing continues to be like, they are just, regular high school students and yet most of the content of the episodes is just bizarre shit that's happening in their lives yeah um, that is yeah. like outside of the realm of reality <laughs> that they're just like kind of like not really acknowledging is completely wild and like just accepting at face value yeah <laughs> um yeah there's a <laughs> there's a lot of your tenor in crow high um and yeah so episode six um the episode is titled Take Care of Miss Nanami. Um, it opens on, like, essentially a horror sequence um, where Nanami is walking down the street at night and um, <laughs> someone appears to be chasing her uh, and she almost gets run over by a car. Um, and then there's, like, this um, shadowy man who is, like, her pursuer, but runs like escapes or something um later on uh she overhears so she's she's now like you know telling everyone about this she's Um, like hit by a a falling plant and talking to people she gets hit by a baseball from utena Um, yeah like some logs fall over in her vicinity um and so she's just all these coincidental events like she's she thinks someone's trying to kill her She's going around and telling, at first thinks it's Utena. I didn't put yes. that in the synopsis, but yeah. So um, she's going around telling everyone about this, and they're like, "What?" Um, you know, not really believing her. Um, then she continues telling them about this. They're at uh, like soft, like a baseball game, and she gets hit, hit by a baseball, and Utena comes. Utena's like crushing this baseball game, uh, obviously. <laughs> of course. And she More comes to her high tr- baseball. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, so, uh, Utena comes to retrieve the baseball and, uh, Nanami is like, Oh, it's Utena trying to kill me. Um, but then shortly thereafter, she like comes across this conversation that Anthony and Toga are having in the, uh, greenhouse. Um, and they're talking about killing bugs and she thinks they're talking about killing her. Um, so she thinks her beloved brother is uh, the one who's trying to kill her. Um, suddenly, Freddy's horse is here. Uh, 
and Nanami is being like trampled or attacked uh, or bitten by the giant horse. Yeah, um, I, I I mistypoed in the synopsis. It's supposed to be Nanami's head is being bitten by a giant horse. As <laughs> okay, in, like, so it the doesn't bite. Hiatus head is being bitten by a giant horse, but yeah, it doesn't yeah, bite her. It doesn't bite her, but it's going to trample her until she's saved by the elementary school student uh, Suwabuki. Uh, Nanami then asks Suwabuki to be her boyfriend, although mostly just uses him as a servant and bodyguard. Um, there's an extended sequence where, uh, like, three identical, like, suitors of Nanami come and, like, fight Suwabuki, and he, like, beats them all. And, like, again, it's very, it's very, like, absurd and crow high. Um, <laughs> Uh, Utena doesn't understand why Nanami is, like, treating Suwabaki like this, um, and is even more confused by Suwabaki's tolerating it, uh, although, um, Sayonji in his cameo appearance, um, comments that you're always happy to be by the one you love, even if you're being abused, um, somewhat self-serving, um, idea from Sayonji, um, Utena then speaks with Suwabuki, uh, who reveals that uh, he met Nanami one day uh, when she was almost trampled by a runaway bull years ago. Um, before you could save her, Toga rescued her instead. Um, so that day, Suabuki vowed to grow up to be a big brother like Toga. Um, shades of like self-parody here of Utena like, growing up to become the prince. Yeah. Um, except Suabuki's ambition is to become a big brother to someone Um so, but, but it's uh, also specifically like Toga as the most princely figure in the show so far as like an actual character who's not a, a ghost that descends from an upside down castle or a, <laughs> a fable that we hear about. Like um, yeah. Toga is and, set up as the most princely one. And, and so like both to some degree, I think we could we could see this being like Utana wanting to be like Toga, this handsome prince who saves people as well as suibuki wanting to be like toga this handsome big brother who saves people <laughs> absolutely yeah and toga in previous episodes there's this whole link that we haven't like i mean we kind of touched on it but um there is dialogue that sets up a kind of gestures at toga potentially having some greater knowledge of this like of this fable um, Toga potentially being this like promised prince, um, and there's a lot of stuff around that. Um, so it's, I think it's complicated, kind of held at arm's length, um, <laughs> uh, and we'll see how that goes. But uh, yeah, so there's already a link of Toga and, and the, the fable prince. Um, so all that's happening. Um, but, uh, in order to actually, like, realize this dream, Suwabuki has actually been the one putting Nanami in danger so he can rescue her. Um, Nanami overhears this and they break up, um... <laughs> with, with, like, comical spy, like, <laughs> technology. Yeah. yeah, 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 So she's, like, suddenly listening, listening in from a spy van and then it's, like transposed just, to just like she's right next to him yeah um, <laughs> with this giant console <laughs> yeah um it's it's great this is really a good episode no one anyone who advises you to skip this episode is just like they don't know what not, the fuck they're your, talking about they're not your friend 
Um, so yeah, Nanami overhears this, uh, and then they Suabuki and Nanami break up, um, and uh, that's uh, the pretty much the end of the episode. Psych. Um, there's a <laughs> runaway kangaroo. We gotta um, get three in there. <laughs> um, there's a runaway kangaroo that just suddenly appears, um, and starts, like, beating the shit out of everybody. <laughs> um, including Utena, like, uh, Suabuki, like, everyone's just getting wrecked by this kangaroo. <laughs> um, the kangaroo actually, like, just absolutely wrecks Suabuki, um, with an uppercut. And they have the, like, Super Smash Brothers, like, home run sound effect when, like, when that happens. Um, it's it's great. Um, <laughs> the shot of Toga, like, throwing off the clothing with, like, the boxing gloves. It's like, <laughs> incredible. Yeah. God, I love this um, episode. Yeah. So, um, it, yeah, Nanami is, like, trying to, she grabs Subuki and is trying to run away. And then Toga, like, appears um and boxes the kangaroo and wins um and then uh subuki decides he's fine if he's not nanami's boyfriend or big brother um instead he just wants to be their little brother so he can be like part of this family um yeah, yeah it's a crow high ass episode <laughs> so um I, don't, I feel like we've already touched on some of it in the synopsis um like there are ways that i think even as this is a like quote unquote filler episode that people will tell you to skip if you just want the the main story of Utena or whatever, um, there there are things going on here. Uh, some of it is in this way where it is less um, it's treated less serious and like dwelling on it, but but it is again still complicating like what's going on with. Utana wanted to be a prince and then Toga as this like princely figure who might be the prince that's in like Utana's fable. Um, all that stuff is kind of um, like being folded in to this very comic thing that is then also still talking about forms of love. Um, and also the ways that these get complicated, which like, um, you know, we talked about in Ray, Ray Earth that um, like, in some ways, Clamp and, and Ray Earth as like a, a series relies on the way that love can can mean romantic love, familiar love, friendship, things like that, to be able to talk about queerness without like having to say some of this stuff directly, because you can kind of say love and then like have the plausible deniability of like, oh, it, it's between friends or whatever. Um, yeah. But this is this is like more directly complicating that by having like, okay. Suobuki really wants to be um, like the big brother, but is kind of content for like this romantic love. But then really Nanami's not doing the romantic love and it might be like reinforcing these themes of possession that we've been talking about that um, again, don't know how much we've talked about that plenty, but, but it's like, yeah. it's getting reinforced here. Um, but then also the way that like, I think it gets commented on in the, in this episode um, and also kind of came up to some degree with the the ball episode. Um, but there there is a certain confusing that is happening with Nanami and Toga, where Nanami um, looks to Toga as like a big brother. But then I believe this is the episode where it's commented that like she has like a brother complex yeah. um, and it's sort of suggested that like that that familial love for her brother might also have some like romantic tinging to it. Yeah. Um, 
so yeah, there there's a lot that is going on there that is like dealing with the the forms of love and how that stuff is happening. Like this is the episode that I think is the most dealt with like taboo stuff as well. Um, both like this like certain you know incest brother sister relationship is getting figured in multiple ways, um, as well as like you know Nanami's in middle school and and Suabuki is in like. Uh, elementary, elementary school. school but it is still like a uh uh age difference there that feels more palpable than like the difference between the middle schoolers and high schoolers um, yeah. in the in this show also in terms of like Tsubuki is just like a short little kid yeah there's right? a joke there's even a joke that like makes this point where like Nanami is um there's a section of the episode where Nunami is like, she's saved from the horse, and then like the person who saved her is like it's Suwabuki or whatever, and he's shown it's just like headshots of him. Um and yeah. you're like led to believe that it's like someone older or like yeah, you know, her age or whatever. And like Utenas like heard the story but hasn't seen Suwabuki and is like oh, she's going to meet him. And they're like, they're kind of watching her. And it's like, first there's like a clear, like, oh, this is just a, a like Bishonen boy who kind of looks like the shots of like Tsubuki we saw. Yeah. Um, and, you know, just passes right by him and then goes to talk to like a teacher, this older man, which is then again, like in the opposite direction, like lampooning this age difference of being like, whoa, she's into like old guys like him. Like teachers. Or, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, like, goes past and, like, oh, no, I guess not. And then, you know. And that's, goes... like, another guy who's just, like, like normal or whatever. And they're, like, oh, she's into, no- like, the normal person type. Yeah. And then she goes to Subuki And he, like, stands up. And he's, like, three feet tall. <laughs> yeah. And they're, like, oh, he's an elementary schooler. Um, um, yeah. So... But yeah, and a lot of it is bringing it in within this like weird comedic context, um, and it's kind of doing it in, in a way around like again, it's figuring all these things, but it, it is currently like veering into this extreme comedy and th- this way of like I I do feel like it is somewhat complicating things, but also there's just an episode that is like kind of taking a lot of the themes so far. And, um, reiterating them and like doing it within this like more comedic framing. Um, but in some ways this episode also kind of feels like a setting down of like, ah, here's a bunch of the stuff we're working with. Now let's continue on. Yeah. Um, um so I don't yeah. know if you have additional thoughts or if we shall continue on. Um, well, it also, um, you know, the, the way that the series is playing on like identity, um, the mystery over like who's going to kill Nanami, um, like people, you know, Suabuki wanting to like be Toga, wanting to occupy this role, um, you know, Nanami wanting like, you know, a certain model of like wanting to be with Toga and then projecting it onto Suabuki, um, all the stuff that we kind of talked about with Miki about like seeing what you want to see in others or not, um, and then being seen the way that you want to be seen um, or not. Um, again, major theme. Uh, hap- it's basically going on with all of these characters. Um, but yeah, it's happening here again, just played as comedy. Um, I like um, this episode uh, a lot in that 
it's it's hilarious um and it's so stylistically like distinct um like in as comedy um while also still like continuing all of these same themes um and not like losing any steam with that yeah um the one other thing i i thought of here um is just a, a production note here um which i think kind of gets gestured at in the the episode itself um so originally when they plotted this out what what is episode eight was supposed to fall here at episode six and this was supposed to be episode eight um some people point to this as like the appearance of Sionji here actually makes slightly more sense if you if you swap it. But I think they're also to some degree intentionally playing with like, oh, Sionji's back <laughs> as like a joke. Yeah. Um, so I, I think it works here. Um, there are people who are like, it doesn't make sense at all. And whatever. It still makes sense as a joke. Um, the the thing about the journal will get like developed more in episode eight. But I don't think that like having it reversed this way is terrible. Um, but if you watch the next on episode for like the end, uh, you know, episode seven, next episode, um, you know that it is a Curry episode. The shadow play that happens here, I believe is the shadow play that was supposed to be for the Curry episode because it is about them cooking Curry. Um, oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I think they are also somewhat gesturing to like things got swapped around here. Um, oh yeah. There's a whole completely that. random ass sequence about camping. Yeah. And cooking curry at the campfire. Um, so when like, you watch episode eight, you'll be like, oh, that shadow play about cooking curry at the campfire makes sense. And then you might watch the shadow play for that episode and go, oh, I could see how that could fit with episode six. <laughs> okay. Yeah. No, that um, makes sense. <laughs> uh, um, yeah. That's great. Um, but Okay. Um, do you want to do episode seven? Yes. Let's, let's wrap this up with episode seven. Um, so this is called Unfulfilled Jury. Um, so, despite being the head of the fencing team and a student council member with one of the uh, most feared and admired personalities in the school, uh, Jury has kind of become cynical and, and bitter um, and, you know, seems to resent and mistrust Anthe and is, like, adamantly denying the power of miracles as, like, miracles don't exist. Um, and we, we get these shots, uh, these, like little vignettes of something that happened in the past um, between, and a lot of this is like very stylistic. These are some of my favorite shots in, in the episodes we've watched. Um, but we kind of get this like, um, again, very like theatrical framing of um, there's this girl who sort of says to her, like believe in miracles and they will know your feelings. Like you'll be able to, to express your feelings if you're believing in miracles. Um and so there's this boy that like Juri is is fencing against, and then there's this girl Shiori, like who's you know is suggested to be her best friend. Um, we get these shots of like Shiori putting her hands over Juri's eyes to say it that has like a, a certain romantic gesture, um, but then also gets revealed throughout like the multiple tellings of the story that she is like covering Juri's eyes to to kiss the boy. Um. But anyway, we, we kind of get some of this of like, okay, the, the, the basic story, and it, it gets repeated a few times here, but is like, um, as it is first told to us, is like, there are these three friends, like Juri, Shiori, and then this boy who I don't think has a name. 
I, I don't remember his name. Um, and I have a cat trying to break in once again. God damn it, Jimmy. And then doesn't even come in. Um, <laughs> so anyway, um, yeah, so we, we get the, and so the, the original framing is basically like, oh, um, Jury was like maybe dating this boy or pining after this boy or something. And then she already stole him from her. Um, and it like broke up the entire, the entire friendship. Um, because like Jury was betrayed by her best friend who stole the boy that she liked. It is kind of the way that the story is presented to us. Yeah. Um, so, um, anyway, this episode is like, has a lot of like various intercut sequences as well, where it was one of the hardest ones for me to like really synopsize um, in terms of like, let me just go scene by scene. But anyway, um, we get the scene then of like jury runs into Utena, um, who is uh, hanging out at this fountain at night <laughs> and um, kind of has some of a conversation about like, Oh, where did you get that ring from? Blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, the jury's just like at the fountain at night wearing this gown for some reason. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Never explained. Um, yeah. This like very regal gown. Um, like nightgown, sort of. But anyway, they're having this this conversation and essentially becomes clear to Jury that like Utena is not seeking the power to revolutionize the world. She doesn't really want Anthe to be her betrothed. She doesn't believe in all this Rose Bride stuff. Um and we get the shot of Jury like leaning in as if to to kiss Utena, uh, but then instead she like you know grabs Utena's arm and is like trying to tear the ring off, saying like you you should throw it away. You're not worthy. Basically, um, you know you don't believe at all in any of the stuff that you're doing. Why are you know why are you wearing this ring? Why are you being a dualist, essentially? Um, and just really turns because because throughout this conversation up until this point where it becomes clear to her that like Utena doesn't really care about the Rose Bride stuff um, has been like actually a fairly seemingly genuine and like them talking about things. And really this is this moment that feels like it's this like turning point. Um, yeah, very violent. And yeah, where she becomes like very angry um, and challenges Utena to a duel saying like, you know, I, I care more about this. Like, just get out like you shouldn't be doing this at all i'm gonna challenge you to a duel yeah like um, if you don't believe in miracles like you have no right to like wear this ring that is like part of this magic like you know this whole magic like conspiracy thing yeah um so they duel uh it's another another great duel and um jury is like clearly the the most skilled person who um utena has faced up until this point i i think like really seems to be holding her own and we we get it most prominently here of once again the ghostly prince that only us can see only us viewers um descends from the upside down castle goes to aid utena and um you know utena goes to do the the strike to to hit the flower but juries um deflects the blade and actually in that moment also sort of thinks about the girl Shiori and is like, you're the one who told me to like believe in miracles. Um, and, you know, again, deflects it, sends it flying into the air. Um, Utena is kind of in a prone position on the, the ground. Jury has her blade out, um, like kind of just holding her in this, like uh, this moment Defeated of position. like, yeah. Um, 
and it is like going to like uh you you are completely defenseless i can just like when i choose finally hit the the flower and end this um and the sword falls from the air um goes like perfectly through the the flower doesn't hit jury at all but just like falls through the flower stabs it like perfectly through the center into the ground uh pinning it to the ground um and they determine that uh you know jury kind of protests being like that was an accident you know like utana didn't knock it off of my my chest but um the the rules of the game at least as as anthe says um is no utana still won you know, the, the flower fell off of your breast. So, um, so we, we skid a little bit more of jury again, sort of being in this, like, I, I don't really believe in miracles because you told yeah. me to believe in miracles thing, but seems to be more shaken in that belief than she was beforehand. And she's like, I think she's like, Oh, I'm going to duel Utena again to like, yeah. you know, prove that this was, not this wasn't this wasn't really a miracle it was just some like fluke accident yeah. um and like asserting that's a different thing um and then in the final moments we get her reading a letter from shiori um and uh you know knocking over the the photo that, where they used to be like that was the the class photo basically where they would have been all on that photo uh, which gets figured throughout like some of the the telling of the story uh, but basically it is revealed here um you know she already says like oh i'm sure you hate me because you know i i like stole him from you um and jury's like yes i do hate you but it's because like you were the one who i wanted to to uh know my feelings and i like never actually you i never got you to understand my true feelings which is that i love you and so now i'm like i'm i'm mad and i hate you for that um and uh then is revealed we see the finally like in the present day here's the the class photo um the girl has been cut out of the photo and it is revealed it is because um, she cut the circle out to put it in the locket that she wears around her neck. Um, this this is an episode where I have not gone back to look at the old translation of like, because Emily doesn't have the DVDs anymore. I would be curious to what degree do they try to efface some of this? Because this is the one that is like most clearly just like jury loves Shiori and it like that is what the whole conflict was that, that Shiori did not actually recognize that she was the one that Jury loved. Um, and kind of like, um, out of this, like sense of competition and the sense of like, um, almost like delight in the cruelty was like trying to steal the guy that she thought that Jury liked. Um, and, and so this is like, so far in the series, the most explicit queerness um, in ways that like, again, there's been these like things that I think you could put like, say as like quote unquote jokes about like, Oh, Wakaba's boyfriend or things. Um, It still feels that still feels more explicit than some of the stuff we've talked about, uh, like in Ray earth and things, but is still in this thing where um, it is very easy to have that plausible deniability around it. Whereas this is a thing where I think localizers really need to do, like they have to face what is in the actual translation. Um, And even just things like she has Shiori's picture in her locket are just like, so textually like (laughs) 
Yeah, you can't there's no other that. way of yeah. There's yeah. no other we way of reading this <laughs> other than and so th- this is what I think is one of the interesting things that's happening here. Um, I'm sure you might have more thoughts, so maybe I'll I'll open it up to you and I can I can get into some of what's happening here. But um, um, no, I think um, I think you framed it up really well. Um, I think this is tying in to like obviously the stuff about gender roles the way gender is constructed, um, the struggle with patriarchy and heteronormativity. Um, I think in that final revelation of like, essentially that, that jury loves, that jury is gay or that jury loves jury at the very least. Um, it, it, it gives uh, meaning to like all of the, her fixation on like miracles um, yeah. And how all of the like miracle stuff is also tied to Shiori. Um, and I think there's a way that like Shiori being the one who like made Jury believe in miracles and also being the one via her betrayal that like shattered Jury's belief in miracles. Yeah. Um, there's a set there. I, I think the miracle is like, Oh, like we could be together in this world. Yeah. Um, yeah. And like, this is the, the one that most clearly gestures towards like also queerness being a thing that, um, in the real world is like inaccessible to a lot of people or, or is like far more difficult to access. Um, yeah. And it's, um, the like, I think you're right that there's like an ineffability around it that is still, even though Utena is like much more explicit about like portraying these possibilities and like portraying these feelings. um, There's still kind of like this sense of ineffability around like we are actually like gay and in a relationship and like romantically together like for real um and just having that be like fully constituted um and i think that like you can trace that to um to this dynamic where like that's kind of what jury is struggling with um even like even though like there's so much of this stuff happening in utena um in a way that I, i don't think is easily dismissed um we're still like there's still a kind of gulf there um between like a full realization of of this and then and what we have so far um yeah and jury is like oh i'm gonna prove to you like i'm gonna duel you um well so as i'm saying this like i'm thinking of more things so the Utena Anthe thing becomes like an object of anger for Jury um, around like, oh, Utena, like you don't take it seriously that like Anthe is your bride. And that like yeah. there is this kind of some sort of possibility there that Jury is perceiving 
Um, yeah, there, there's a certain, I mean, we don't fully get some of Jury's thoughts in this too, but like for me as well, there's a certain reading of like that turning point that happens during their conversation that you could see Jury, especially when you like know the full context of like, she loves Shiori being like, I like what I would want is a world where I could have like the, the queer romance that I want with this girl. Um, that girl is not Anthe, it is this other girl. Um, and so for me, it is less important that like I be the one in possession of Anthe, but rather seems to be like of the impression, at least to me as I'm reading this, at the very beginning of the conversation with Utena of like, oh, look, like almost this like, I'm a queer girl. I can kind of see like, okay. I get it. You, you have the Rose Bride because like you want to, you want to have a girlfriend. You want to be able to like have this realized. Um, I'm kind of fine almost with you being maybe the one who is able to like, you know, crack the world's egg shell, whatever that means. Mm -hmm. Um, because what I believe based on the fact that you are a girl who has like fought and claimed Anthe is that, um, you were doing this out of like a queer love perhaps for Anthe. Um, and that the world that you would, you would like fight for, um, that you are fighting for as part of this, like whole duel that I'm bought, like dueling game that I'm bought into would be a world that would also allow me to be queer. That like, you seem to be fighting for some sort of revolution and that revolution being per- perhaps a queer one. Um, Absolutely. if I'm like really reading into like, Again, this is me projecting to some degree. Perhaps, no, for sure. This I, is this I is what's happening. There. This is yeah. what's happening. Yeah. Um, um, and there's and, parallels. and specifically when it is like, oh, you actually don't care. Oh, now I actually need to possess Anthe so that I can make sure that it is the like queer world that I want. Um, and or like, the- there's jury is initially like, oh, I don't believe that miracles can happen. And I think we've already defined miracle Um, because of this like experience. I had this pain this hurt. I don't believe miracles can can happen. And then she becomes very intrigued with like Utena and Anthe and is like positive, like positively intrigued, still kind of maintaining like, Oh yeah, I still, I don't believe that miracles can happen, but like Utena though, like I kind of want to like get closer to her and like see what's going on there and then like exactly as you're saying like at that moment where utena is like rejecting this then she's like okay like she's wounded again and she's like oh wait i thought there was hope here but they're not but there's not so now i'm like now i'm gonna prove to you that miracles can't happen um yeah and like you know, out of my anger, like I'm lashing out. Um, but there's still that subtext. Like what she really wants is to have it proven to, to her that miracles can happen. Yeah. Um, and like, I think there's that aspect of, uh, of jury as well, where like, she's acting out in anger and desperation, but like all of this, like insistence on like, Oh, I'm going to prove to you that miracles can't happen. There's like an implication of like, but I, I, I want to be wrong. Like I want to lose, which would prove the opposite. You know yeah. what I mean? Um, and, and gets this kind of unsatisfying loss. 
which is one where it is like for for her where it is like i still don't know if that was a miracle or or just like weird happenstance um because it was not like a miracle of like utena being able to defeat me um it, it is like this other weird thing that happened um so yeah the the other thing here that because i i think all these characters, like all the duelists and the duels are kind of figuring forms of, um, of like love and relationships and how this is like factoring into, um, this like broader patriarchal system that the, the series is concerned with, um, about how like to some degree love means like wanting to control or, or, um, like, have have some sort of effect on this other like other person um that that is like kind of a a difficult thing with love to a degree um and this is i think one of the most sympathetic versions like the the love in some ways that she seems to be fighting for is like for shiori um and at least for me like it is the longing of a queer girl for a straight friend um again in this way that um i can't oh did i did I lose you? Nope, I'm here. Okay. Um, I'm just wrapped di- in attention. <laughs> my Discord was weird for a second. Um, but, like, you know, it is this longing of a queer girl for a straight friend. And I can kind of, like, sympathize for that, like, desiring. But I think it, it, we are also getting this way of, like... One of the things that is actually keeping her from being able to love Shiori seems to be the fact that, like, Shiori is straight. <laughs> right yeah. but like shiori is never going to love her back in the way that i think a lot of uh queer people m- may have had experiences with like straight people who are never going to love them back um and so so this is itself actually still this like desire where what she she really wants is the miracle of like shiori to to not be straight anymore which is still a way of like wanting someone to change to fit our desires. Right. Um, Absolutely. And again, it is this one that feels more sympathetic of the, the duels that we've seen. Like uh, again, Sionji just fuck him. Um, Miki, I think has this like more clear possessive, um, like strain to him or like possessive uh, streak. Um, is the word I was looking for this more possessive streak to him. Um, but then again, is like more conflicted in that. And it is like going through this process of also wanting Anthony to be free, but it's like complicated. Um, this is one that seems to be less possessive in that sense, but that it is still this form of love that is like, I love you and I want you to be different so that you can love me back. Um, that, that again is like, I, for me sympathetic i i i i believe in like like if jury wins all these duels i i would most believe in her having a like potential good outcome yeah <laughs> right <laughs> for like but what's it's... going on with anthe and everything but it is still this complicated aspect of love absolutely um, yeah that yeah is is kind of about wanting to change people um or wanting to have some like influence over the lives of others yeah um, or wanting them to like be what you want them to be yeah just fundamentally yeah. Uh, um and it, in that regard um 
the interest so much of this like dynamic um is like implied um and like subtext that you just have to like draw out um which we're doing and i think we're i think we're 100 correct <laughs> yeah um, <laughs> i do i do think that this stuff is extremely supported in in the text but um again in, sure. in ways where um the part that is most obvious is just that like oh jury loves shiori yeah um that but- i don't know how you watch this especially with like accurate translations and not get that <laughs> um, so the thing it, we don't what we don't get is a lot of elaboration from jury because it's a, such a spur of the moment decision but we don't get a lot yeah. of elaboration from jury about like this is why i want to like have the rose bride um but you just flesh it out com- like completely there um in the sense that like even though it's not articulated and maybe jury is not even like um processing this like her taking the place of utena uh is like okay first of all like this potential that i saw in this relationship like i get to have it now um and like i can make sure that it's realized um but also like i have complete power in this relationship so like unlike shiori who like was straight and had her own like wants and desires uh anthe the rose bride has to do whatever i want um and like this level of control means that like i i can realize this possibility that i want for myself um and in that regard it is like i I agree with you 100 percent. it's much more it is more sympathetic um but I think that's part of the power of like of this um, character and of this episode, um, in conjunction with the sequencing of the other like student council members, um, where it's it's actually not like completely dissimilar to like Tamiki, um, in in the reasons why like uh, this appeals to jury. Um, and how she's ultimately like co-opted into it again. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Um, I don't know. I, uh, I wonder what Toga's motivation is. He seems like a pretty, um, you know, upstanding guy. He doesn't creepily <laughs> yeah. touch people's hair. Um, um, I, I do, I do think that toga is one who gets more um romanticized by aspects of of like utena fandom um but i i think we are right to look at toga with suspicion and uh derision (laughs) all i'll say about toga Um, is um two things because i think they're like important about his character and we didn't touch on them um yeah part part of it i don't think this is revealing too much because people you can kind of see some of the the contours of the series at this point where there's the everybody on the student council is a rose signet ring and then they're dueling utena we are going to get more toga in the second half of the student council arc because obviously he's going to be a a duel yeah um i don't think that's spoiling too much i think that is clearly signaled by the structure Um, yeah so so yeah i 
I think we can maybe point a little bit towards Toga and then wrap it there. Um, yeah. Just as yeah. A... Um, so just two like quick comments. Um, the scene of the hair touching, uh, I noted or put in my notes and I don't remember uh, exactly, but I did put it in my notes. So I think I'm, I'm right here. Um, it either like immediately precedes or uh, immediately follows like um a scene of like uh Sionji, I believe, like or Anthe like being hit by somebody. I think it's Sionji. Um Yeah. And the like connection of those two things, I mean first of all it's perceived in the moment um by Utena as like a violation. Um and then also it's linked immediately after with like I think Sionji like hitting Anthe. Um so the series there is already being like okay, this is a form of violence <laughs> um that Toga is like inflicting. Um and then there's also like the stuff around the dress, um, where Toga like is the one who sends that uh very anonymously. Feminine... What's that? Anonymously as well. Right. Uh, actually i think no i think he puts his name on it oh does he i think so yeah and like a kissy face or something maybe it's really gross he puts but he sends this dress to like utena and um then there's a whole sequence later on of her taking off the dress and it's like toga is trying to uh manipulate utena into like he's doing the same thing of like he wants utena to be a certain way um, yeah, and it's, and it's kind of suggested to want Utena to be the princess to to mm-hmm. him as the prince, and that there is a critical framing of that already. <laughs> um, that uh, I guess we'll, we'll see how that how that goes. Yeah, so so we will see in the second half of the Student Council Saga episodes eight through thirteen of Revolutionary Girl Utena. Um. I'm just ending unless you really want to interject here. No, uh, if you no, want... we're good. <laughs> if you want to write into the podcast, you can write into ghostdiverspod at gmail.com. Um, thank you to the Export Audio Network. Uh, you can go to exportaud.io to support the network on Patreon. Um, if you go and drop a dollar, you will be able to listen to episodes of my podcast, Ornate Stairwells, a week early. Uh, that is a, a movie podcast, a, a film aesthetics podcast that I do with Autumn, um, who is like basically in charge of the network. Uh, it's, a, it's a great podcast, and if you enjoy Ghost Divers, I think people would also enjoy that. Um, we're going to do a crossover episode uh when we get to back what? around to ghost in the shell um i guess we can like officially announce this here uh I, we talked about it on an ornate stairwell so it's not like this is a secret okay. um it's <laughs> basically when we first started ornate stairwells i was like here are movies that i am marking out as ghost divers movies <laughs> um and then the longer that we recorded i was just like autumn you and i talk about stuff completely differently than i like would talk about something with connor <laughs> Like we just, it's a great thing. It's part of what excites me about podcasts and like doing 
outspoken criticism with someone else is that it is a conversation and um you know the episodes that we we do together where it's all three of us are fun because um the you know different perspectives is there as well but um Go yeah i kind of to came Rares. to this listen to a rare <laughs> yeah. podcast um it's great but um yeah, and so I kind of came to this conclusion of like, it would actually be funny to do an episode where uh, Autumn and I watch the first Ghost in the Shell movie um, and record a Stairwell's episode about it. And then like a few days later, I just record with you, Connor, having watched it, um, uh, like a Ghost Divers episode about the first Ghost in the Shell movie. Um, and then we literally just put them together into one episode that... Sh- like pops up in both feeds um, where it's just like, here's me having two different conversations about this movie. Um, seems like a fun idea to me. I'm, I'm excited for it. So. Yeah. It's going to be, it's going to be a whirlwind of an episode. I'll tell you that. Yeah. Um, so that'll, that'll be coming obviously in, in 2022. Um, but yeah, otherwise, uh, if you want to follow the podcast, you can follow us at Ghost Divers Pod. Uh, you can follow me at Fox Mom Nia. Where can people follow you? Um, y'all can follow me at Rabelais, R-A-B-B-L-E-A-I-S. Uh, and you can also follow Garfred Aloud to watch me read Garfield Aloud into a camera. Um, and also, I forgot to to mention this when we recorded the intro episode bit. Um, I think I'm going to mention it in the, the question bucket for, um, for Ray Earth as well. So people will have heard this, but I, I forgot to mention it for the intro episode here. Um, a thing that I've decided that we are going to do is, so I usually try to take all 12 days of Yule off, which is usually December 21st through the new year. Um, so I take them off of work and, you know, I'm, I'm going to be watching a toddler for a decent amount of that, but still uh, going to have a little bit more free time. And so I decided a fun thing to do would be to have bonus episodes that will be, they will go out on new year's day. Um, so July 1st, every year we're going to have like a, a fun special episode. Um, and so we decided that the first one is going to be a book that we have referenced in, I think a few of the series we've discussed, which yeah. is independent people by Hoddledore Locksness. Uh, <laughs> yeah. This is this is something that uh, I, I've been looking forward to for a long time. Um, this is yeah. almost like Ava stature of something that like we both have. So you recommended this book to me, and I read it, and I was like, I have strong feelings about this book. Um, and then we've kind of had like conversa- like conversations around it while clearly wanting to have like a massive conversation just like about it. So we've kind of like talked around it, but we've never really like fully just sat down with one another and been like this book. Um, and yeah, uh, I'm, I'm really excited. Uh, yeah. So uh, I think you said July 1st, but you meant January 1st. Oh, yeah, January 1st. Yeah, so it'll be out um, January 1st. And I'm mentioning it here so people have time, especially since it's a book, to, like, you know, read the book and then be able to write in. So uh, if you have questions for that episode, we we will just do it as part of the the episode. There won't be, like, a separate question bucket episode for it. Um, And you can 
again, right into ghostdiverspod at gmail.com and just put like locksness or independent people or something in the subject. So I, I can save it for that recording. Um, but my guess is we'll probably record it early in Yule. Um, probably not the 21st because I will be doing things and probably not like Christmas, but we'll record it sometime then is my guess. Um, or like around then. And then I will, I will edit it and get it up for, um, January 1st, which is the end of Yule. So, um, yeah. Yeah. So no matter what you're doing on the holidays, um, you know, be ready because, uh, ghost divers has a special holiday gift for, <laughs> for all of, uh, all of our wonderful listeners. Um, and it's yeah, going to be a good the- one. This is the thing about it, too, because so like part of us being able to do it is just the fact that I like usually try to take all 12 days of Yule off. And, you know, it, it's me doing my like uh, weird pagan trying to reconnect with like traditions after like completely dissolving from the, the Christian church and becoming a Taoist. But then being like, it feels weird to practice Chinese holidays when I'm not Chinese. And so let me go to like an analog that is drawing from my own heritage. Oh, let me do like the, the wheel holiday that pulls from German and Irish and like Scottish um, traditions, which are, are my ancestry. So um, I, I kind of just do it to like give myself uh, things to celebrate. And that often kind of coincide with um, like a certain secular or Christian holiday in, in the United States. Um, but in terms of releasing it and in terms of it being a gift, I, I feel like January 1st, New Year's Day is a, a pretty like non-denominational, like non-religious holiday for us to to have a gift for. So um, absolutely. Yeah, I, I feel much better about doing a New Year's special than uh, like Christmas special. So, yeah. Um, um, and uh, who knows? I mean, maybe the book uh maybe the book has some some good things to say about you know um some good points of reflection for entering into a new a new year of 2022 um you know thinking about community and (laughs) you know what it means to, to live among others um, I, I have not figured out the best way to do content warnings for this stuff, so I'm, I'm not going to like put it right here, but, uh, there's definitely some content warnings for, for independent people. It's oh, a, yeah. it's a, yeah. it's a depressing book. Um, so anyway, that's, that's it. Um, what, what do we say to the people, Connor? Uh, you know, it's. Who is it today? (laughs) (laughs) No, we just say bye. Bye. (laughs) Bye. We still don't have a sign off for this podcast. I don't think there ever will be. It's just us saying bye. Bye. Bye.
That was a podcast. We should do a time about his clap before you forget. Yes. Good call out. Um, what you want me to say is like, uh, if you're not our friends, you're not really our friends. Is that how it goes? <laughs> um, that was not what I was expecting you to say. I I thought it would be funny to throw to you as if we have like a clearer sign off other than just saying bye. Okay, um, perfect. Good. <laughs> to to see if you would just say bye or if you would flounder, and it was the latter. <laughs> All right, good. I didn't completely like fuck out something you expected. <laughs> That's good. Um, Twenty nine. Wow, you you are really about the nines today. Yeah, it's a nine type of day. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, that was nice. Um, um, yeah. Yeah, I really. Uh, I was serious when we were doing the intro episode. I was really still just like gathering my thoughts on Utena, and uh, now I feel like like coming into it and then us being like yeah like these are the main (laughs) these are the like main axes of this series um yeah yeah that was that was nice that was one of the things too when i was watching it because i was like for me it makes the most sense to just do the sagas as episodes but um and i was just watching the the student council saga and i was like do I want to break this in half? Um, because it is 13 episodes and I was watching through it and I was like, really the first, like if, especially if we do the first seven episodes so that we get in jury, um, like in those episodes, we can already start seeing the shape of things that I want to talk about with the student council. Um, where, yeah, I feel like this was good. We, we had plenty of time to fill. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And it was Um, like a a slightly shorter, somewhat proportional to like i mean this is still this is gonna come out to like a three hour episode still (laughs) you think (laughs) so um i mean i'll cut out some bathroom breaks and stuff it'll be maybe a little bit under but i'm gonna put music at the front and the back and i think i'm gonna to cut in in some way um the zatai ume mokushuki roku when we when we talk about that because i think having that song is gonna be yeah why yeah. not play that um yeah so like we'll see it'll probably be around three hours because we didn't record for a full hour i don't think for the the intro episode it was a pretty no. short one yeah it was pretty short um, but yeah and so i was like i feel like we will be able to like there's enough here that in doing a deep reading we're already going to see what i want to talk about um in terms of like, okay, how's the show being structured? And then it will give us the space when we get to the second half to be like, okay, let's really go into like our, our impressions from the first, um, the, like the, the first arc of this first How saga. This developed. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Of, of kind of where it ends off because there, there are clear, like stopping points that occur. Um, and so how is this like concluding in a way that, um, you know, and again, like we talked a little bit about Toga and Anthe, but we're going to have a lot more next time for that. Um, and I, I think, it, I think that's good that we will, we'll have those as two main focuses. We'll have some other things to talk about as well. It's not literally just, um, Anthe and Toga for six episodes, but, um, there's a lot of Toga coming up. So, Ooh, um, okay. Yeah. I'll be um, ready. 
and, and we'll we'll really be able to start getting into that and and how stuff is complicating there um and then yeah and then i i think even though 10 episodes is is like a decent chunk the the structure of utena is such that i think like each saga is building on and complicating the previous saga in a way where I think there will be a certain amount of us being able to shorthand the conversation that we've had and then go like, and here's what it's doing with it now. Um, yeah. So I, I think sometimes those, like those, let's talk about 10 episodes will be a little bit shorter than us talking. Like our time per episode might be shorter than we spent on these seven episodes just because we did groundwork here. Yeah, yeah, we've laid that groundwork. Um, and then it, it being, I think it's just like six episodes for the six or seven for the, the apocalypse saga, but I'm sure we'll have lots to say there just because it'll be like, we wrapped up the series. Um, yeah. And then the, the movie will be fun um, as like a different interpretation. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty pumped up. Um, this was a good episode. A good two episodes. Um, yeah. And, uh, but yeah, I, I got to go to sleep because I'm driving like six hours tomorrow and I also have to work. Yeah. Um, um I'm gonna, I, I will stop recording. Okay. Right. Shall we just clap? Shall we get into, um, I don't think we need to do a time dot is clap. Okay, yeah, I'm so, like, eager to not miss the clap this time. <laughs> yeah, um, just keep it rolling. Yeah, um, your audio quality on, on my headphones is, like, pretty bad. It's, like, robotic, but I can live with it. I just want to let you know. It mm. it seems to be stable, um, so you're not, like, going in and out. It's just, like... Yeah. I, it just okay. sounds kind of funny. Um, but I don't really... It doesn't bother me. Um... Just like double checking input stuff. Well, let me do something. Okay. Um, I'm actually going to really quick, so that's okay. Okay. Hello. Hello. Were you not able to hear what I did? No. <laughs> okay. I just did a mic test in Discord, and it, it sounds fine to me, so I think it's just a Discord thing. I was just like, this is a quick way for me to check. Um, is my mic sounding fine? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, okay, my latency looks good. Um, so it's it's probably just a Discord thing. And again, it, as long as it's yeah. stable, I don't really care. Yeah, it seems like it's been stable. Which okay. Is good. Um, can we take a quick bathroom break? Sure. Okay. All right. I will be back shortly. <laughs> back if you are oh wait is my oh shoot hold on my audio might be not working I am back. Oh, okay. Wow. 
that's that's really funny. I just spent the last like two minutes thinking that uh, <laughs> my headphone audio wasn't working because it's not oh. doing the weird. Well, I can hear you, so that's all that matters. Okay. I can't hear like any other input on my computer, um, but it's fine. Huh. Um, shall we just get into it? Yeah, I think so. All right, what's um, you want to do a drink check? Oh, sure. Um, so I have two drinks in the the studio tonight. Um, the studio being my closet. Mm, yeah. So the the first one is it's technically a rosé, but it's very red. So um, if I am hungover tomorrow, this is why. Because <laughs> um, <laughs> I can't really I can't really drink reds. Um, so, but that felt kind of like especially a rosé felt appropriate for for, for Atena. Sure. I was just gonna say um, that. The other thing is. I made a martini. I made a, a dirty martini, but instead of um, olive brine and an olive, um, I made these like homemade banana pepper pickles. So Ooh. I did it with a slice of the banana pepper and some of the brine. So it's like a spicy martini. Um, so okay. those, are, those are my two drinks. Very uh, appropriate for Utena and on brand. Mm-hmm. Um, I have uh, something called a golden cream ale. Um, that is actually really nice. Nice. Uh, yeah, it's a company like pretty close to me makes it. Um, and I was like, Golden Queen Ale, that sounds like, I don't know. That's not it. Like that sounds a little bit like less shitty than I normally go for. Um, but I'm still intrigued. So I got it and it's, it's really nice. Um, I'm trying to remember the, there's a, it's like dragon something. Um, is it dragon's blood? I think that's a, let me double check. Dragon's milk. Ah. Dragon's milk. A little less aggressive. Um, yes. (laughs) Um, this is uh, Michigan. I think this is the one. Um, I believe it's like a, a cream stout, but that's barrel aged. Um, it's very good. It's like a, oh, a yeah. yeah, I think it's a stout. So um, I, I always associate, let me just double check to make sure this is the correct one. Um, yeah, this is one of the first like uh, more like lactic, you know, creamy um beers that I ever had so I kind of always associate I've had other cream beers and sometimes they can be hit or miss for me um sometimes they can be really nice and sometimes they can just like feel too weird and and like rich um yeah so this is this is the one I just sent it to you on discord this is the one I'm drinking um Braxton Brewing Company. Yeah. It's... Yes, I'm over 21. I'm Jesus age. <laughs> um, a peach cobbler Berliner Weiss. <laughs> That's one of the other. Yeah, golden cream ale. Um, it's pretty good. It's um, the spicy hop. I don't know, but um, 
yeah, it's pretty, pretty nice. Everything else checks out here. Yeah. Okay. Um, With that out of the way, I think we can start recording.